Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is a little bit different than our usual format. Today is September 11th, 2023, 22 years since the towers fell and life changed as we know it. Today's conversation is going to be a breakup of a bunch of different segments. I called some friends of mine that I truly respect and love, people that have been on the podcast before with me, people that I can lean on, send a text to, or get a random phone call from and catch up right from where we left off. That's what this job's all about. Volunteer career, it's about the relationships, friendships, brotherhood, and sisterhood that we create amongst each other, and that then we can live out in reality. The falsehood of what's happening in the fire service with the overuse of brother, overuse of sister, it's nauseating. And we need to get back to a time where... People cared for one another. They put themselves aside and they put the mission and the family in the forefront and our own problems to the back. When we step through the threshold of the firehouse, we need to be there consciously, spiritually, and physically. We can't check our problems and bring them in with us because it it distracts us. It takes away from the overall equation of what needs to happen in the firehouse, the sanctum of the kitchen, the apparatus, on the streets, and eventually to the service that we provide for people that expects us to be professional and proficient every single day at our jobs. It's important. And I think we've lost track of that. And so for me, I've always struggled with September 11th. Um, it's not a day that I just get weird and, 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 and get random on, on how I, my position or where I stand. But it's just a day of, of somber remembrance of those that sacrifice so much. And that day um, stands out to me because we're so close. I've mentioned it before that where I live, where I work, uh, is in the shadows of New York City. We are across the Hudson River, about 25 minutes from the George Washington Bridge. We're up in elevation. So when I come out of my house, literally a mile and a half down the road, I can see the New York City skyline. <clears throat> and it stands out. And on cloudy days, it's hard to see. On bright blue days, on gorgeous days, it stands out. And you notice it every single time. I've never taken that skyline for granted. September 11th, 2001, the day that the towers fell and the day that our country was changed forever was a gorgeous day. And it's talked about a lot. People talk about what a beautiful day. No humidity, gorgeous bright blue skies. And it was just a comfortable day. And we went, about life, we went about life in such an innocent way from where we are today. We didn't understand terrorism on our own turf for the most part. The World Trade Center was hit in 93 with, their, with a bombing that was performed in the underbelly of the World Trade Center. We've had domestic terrorism in Oklahoma City and a few other locations throughout our years. But nothing on this scale, size, and magnitude of being attacked by foreign terrorists from our skies with such a large loss of life. And that day changed us forever. It changed me forever. It changed our country. It changed our relationships, how we view the world. And this episode is not to bring this dark and uh, difficult conversation to light. What it is is storytelling. With our podcast, it's important for me to tell stories. We interview, you know, the concept of National Fire Radio was to capture the conversations of the senior men, people that have been doing this job for quite a while, 
who have stories and experience that they need to share. And with that, we can do that in perpetuity. Perpetuity means the stories are here forever. We can document their stories where people can go listen and learn. And that's what National Fire Radio really was built on, the pillars of what we are and why we started the podcast almost six years ago now. But with that, it's evolved. And we've done a lot of other things. We interview not just senior men now, but we interview people across the board from different organizations, departments, different parts of the country, young and old, and everything in between. Because it's when we talk about the job, we make the job better. And I firmly believe that. I end every episode with that line. And so for me, I mean that. It's not just a catchphrase. It's literally what I believe, that we need to keep the job in the conversation. We need to keep the conversation flowing So it stays current. And I think that parallels exactly with what this episode is all about today. Today, I have 10 friends, like I mentioned before, that have been on the podcast that are important to me. And I didn't know their stories. They're from all over the country. They're chiefs to probies to people in between. They have their story. Everybody has their story. September 11th of 2001 was one of those memorable days that people don't forget where they were in life how they heard the news, where they were, what they needed to do, how they acted, how they responded, and then obviously the memories of the days, weeks, and months, and years after. So today's episode is just that. It's some storytelling. It's me dialing up some friends and talking about September 11th and where they were that day. Each segment's about 10 to 20, 25 minutes. Um, So I ask that you sit back and just listen if it's of interest to you because storytelling is important. Uh, you'll hear a lot of emotion come through on these conversations. Um, this was not easy for me to do, uh, to be honest. Um, a lot of times I'm the one in the forefront talking, steering the interview, and this time I'm sitting back a lot and letting people talk. Um, I've gotten text messages since I've recorded these segments from some of these guests that said that they've never really put much thought to it or had to speak about it the way they did with me. Um, and it made them rethink about their answers or, or how they carried on the conversation with me. Um, and that just tells me that this is still very fresh for so many people. 22 years later, the wound is still wide open. This is a day that will go down in the history of the American Fire Service as, a, as the darkest day. We've lost so many that day. The Valiant, FDNY, the NYPD, the Port Authority Police. The list goes on and on of those that sacrificed that day, that did their jobs. They woke up that morning going to the job they loved, providing protection for the people they care for in a city that never sleeps. And they, at the end of the day, did not come home because they did their job and they would do it again. Not an easy conversation, a very difficult day, obviously difficult for the families and those that are involved, our brothers and sisters that were a part of it, all of it. It's a challenging and tough conversation, but there's a few things I want to talk about real quick before I turn it over to my guests. That day brought us together as a nation, as one people, as a sense of community came over us, crime stopped, racism stopped, it all stopped. Color didn't matter. Religion didn't matter. Ethnicity didn't matter. The guy that you were angry at the firehouse, you're angry with him, it stopped. The fighting with your spouse stopped. The argument with your children stopped. And in many cases, things got better. It brought us together. We need to focus on that. We need to focus on the good. And the good is this. When tragedy strikes, it's what comes from it and what we do with that. 
is where we can judge how this all went down. We need to do better. We need to take better care of one another. We need to be one. We need to love this nation. We need to educate our youth about September 11th. We need them to know and to carry on the conversations because, like I said before, when the conversations continue, that is how we keep the memory and legacy of those that sacrificed so much that day alive. The spirit of American, <clears throat> the spirit of America, powerful, powerful when it's allowed to be on full display like it was after September 11th. A community, a nation that came together as one to fight a common evil that threatens our democracy and our very own liberty here on our own grounds. So <clears throat> without grandstanding or keep going and, and building up this conversation, give this episode some thought and consideration and think about where you were that day. You know, if you were a young kid in elementary school, you still have a story. You might have a memory about it. If you were there that day, you were witness to it and you listened to this podcast, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you to everybody that gives time to this podcast to keep the conversations alive and to keep the conversation moving forward. I think that's the most important thing. And so when we talk about this job, we take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because it makes this job better. I challenge you all, after listening to this episode on September 11th, 2023, take a minute, think about the time and place you were at in life at that moment, and then share your story. Or go out and at least educate somebody sitting next to you about September 11th. Or go educate yourself. If you're not aware, if you don't know the numbers, 2,977 murdered that day. 343 FDNY firefighters, including one brother from the fire patrol. The NYPD, 23 officers lost that day. The Port Authority Police Department, 37 officers lost that day. These are people that went to work to do their job, and they did their job. They did it well. They saved thousands of people, and they perished in their efforts. Talk about them. Go out, learn their names, learn their stories. Those 9-11 stair climbs are powerful. And this just dawned on me as I'm talking. This isn't in my notes, but this just dawned on me. They hand out cards of the fallen. They hand out picture cards with the faces, names, and descriptions of those people on them. So that when you do those 9-11 stair climbs, you're walking in honor of one of our fallen. What an incredible way. What an incredible way to keep the conversation going and talking about the legacy of that individual that you're walking for. We need more of that. We need you to go, go out and talk. So like I said, listen to this episode. Think about where you were that day. Educate yourself on the information and truths that came from that day. Shy away from the politicism of all this, the commerce of all this, the things that cheapen what occurred that day. Get away from that and go talk about the job. Talk about those that sacrificed so much, the innocent people that were killed that day. Talk about the day. Talk about the days leading after it, the weeks, months, and years after it. And keep the memory of those alive that sacrificed so much on that fateful day in Lower Manhattan. So thanks for tuning in. And without further ado, <clears throat> please listen to some of my friends and their stories about where they were on September 11th. So my next guest that's joining me is somebody that I hold in very high regard in my world. Uh, I've gotten to know Dave Gallagher um, over the last several years. 
Uh, he is somebody that I call very randomly every couple months. I'll just pick up the phone and call. I, I've talked about that on the podcast before where I like to once a week, uh, at least once a week, if not more, I try to pick up the phone and just call a random person in my phone that I haven't talked to in quite a long time just to say hello. It's better than a text. It's a five-minute conversation or it could turn into a two-hour rant while I'm driving. But I enjoy those conversations, and Dave Gallagher is one of those guys. Uh, Dave is the OG, old man Gallagher, OG we call him. Um, very heavily rooted rooted in the fire service. Uh, retired out of Huber Heights, um, Illinois, or Ohio. Um, he's going to kill me for that one. But he is a dear friend and somebody that is a mentor to many in the fire service. Um, and I certainly regard him as a very important person to me. He's been on the podcast before. And um, frankly, he's just a, an absolute gentleman all the way around. So uh, let me dial up Dave and get him on. Uh, I want to capture his story. Hey, brother. Mr. Gallagher. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. You know, I, um, I, I, I had an incredible conversation with a mutual friend um, who uh, was doing something, and it made me think. And I thought, you know, for September 11th, I was conflicted. I didn't know what I wanted to do on the podcast that day. Um, I don't – I usually on social media that day, I post images of brothers that I respect – people that I know were lost that day that were important to me. Um, and 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 I, I think that day is truly about, you know, of course it's never forgetting, and, and we could talk about that, but it's also the the memory and legacy of those that came before us. And um, and I know, uh, I, I thought the, the way I could maybe do that is to learn some stories of other people. As you know, with the podcast, I love to, I love to tell stories. I love, oh, to, yeah. I love to hear stories um, and share stories on our network with people that are, are trusting and believing in what we do. And so you certainly, uh, were, and I, so random that when I called you the other day, randomly, I didn't even know I was doing this yet. Um, and, uh, or I would have said something to you. It was just sure. a random phone call to say hello and to say hi, um, because I like doing that. And, uh, you're one of those guys that I certainly enjoy talking with, but, I appreciate you taking a few minutes of your day. I know you're very busy. And, um, you know, so I was just curious. Your day, September 11th, 2001, 22 years ago. Um, I know how rooted you are in the fire service. Um, you have a very wide reach and grasp. Um, you call many dear friends. And I know you lost many friends that day. Um, I'm just curious what your day uh, back on September 11th of 2001, what that looked like for you? Well, the, the interesting part is I had just taken my mom in for some surgery, mm. uh, some, some light surgery at uh, Kettering Memorial Hospital south of Dayton because I was still there at the time. And the, I went in with her to sit with her before her surgery at 845. And I came out to a waiting room, uh, TV and everything, and people were just standing there. And I'm like, something's not right. Yeah. And I looked, and the whole world had changed. You know, the smoke's pouring out of the tower. Um, we saw the second plane hit. We saw the uh, flashing to the Pentagon. We saw the... Uh, 
you know, the reports coming out of Shanksville and all that. And they, yeah, it, it, the whole, the whole world has changed. We were just, we were just staying there gawking uh, and couldn't believe what we were seeing. Yeah. And especially when the second plane hit and then it was like, oh, wow. So I, I couldn't do anything. I had to, I was going to be taking my mom home. So I had to wait a little bit. The, the phone, you know, our quote unquote network started ringing, call this, do that. The interesting part was when the first tower went down, the first thing that shot through my head, I was standing there and I said, well, I wonder who I know just got yeah. killed. Yeah. Because as I've told you before, we were ensconced um, mid nineties is when my world opened up to the members of the FDNY and the friendships, you know, that last to this day. And all I could think about was the, and a lot of the people back in the day for both conferences, uh, fire engineering and firehouse, you know, FDIC and firehouse, a lot of the FDNY people were sock. Yes. Um, there, there were certainly, you know, truckies and, and engine people and all that, but you're going, whoa. And it was just, I don't know, it was almost surreal, but I knew, obviously, we all knew there was going to be a loss. It was just a matter of, of who it was going to be. So we, uh, you know, the phone didn't quit ringing. And I had been on Ohio Task Force One. I was a rescue squad officer. And I was supposed to be on the rotation for deployment. But I had gotten hurt pretty good at a fire a week before mm. and got pulled off the rotation. So, you know, I, I didn't go. Yeah. Uh, one, of my, one of my best and dearest friends who was a uh, team manager and the other guys I knew when we had put the program together, they went. But yeah, so that's kind of the way the, the day started there. Wait, so how, I, obviously your mother, your mother, I mean, you're a very unique set of circumstances there. And so you're in a waiting room with complete strangers. Um, what was, what was burning inside you? Like, I know for so many guys just wanted to go to the firehouse. They wanted to be with their brothers and sisters. They wanted, they needed to find a place where they could quietly watch and yet be in the company of, of, um, I don't know, similar, uh, feelings. It is like, I'm just curious. I mean, you, you hear so many stories of September 11th with strangers come together and, and, you know, the, nothing, nothing more than that tragedy existed that day. Like nothing else happened. And, you know, right. people saw through color, they saw through religion, they saw through, you know, all of it. Like there, it was just, we were Americans and we were struggling with not having answers and, and something that we've never seen like that before. Um, incredibly powerful, Chief. Oh, absolutely. Mm. The, the, I think, one, we wanted answers. You know, I, I remember standing there with all these people in this waiting room watching. Yeah. And the screen was splitting and this, that, and the other. And somebody went, whoa, what's that? And it just it blurted out of my mouth. I said, that's the Pentagon. And they went, what? I said, take a look. That's the Pentagon. 
And I, you know, rank and file civilians, they weren't sure what they were looking at. Right. Uh, but then that, you know, at that time they all started going down their particular paths of emotion and doubt. And all I could think of was who, what, when, where, and how, uh, you know, I had a daughter, uh, she, she was in the air force. She was in, in the, in the intelligence family right. of the air force. Um, so it was like, all right, how's she going to play into this? What's going to happen here? What's next? And you're right. I, I would have loved nothing better than to just get to the station sure. just to, just to be in and see. Cause I think the other thing we all suspected at the time was locally what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. You know, is this isolated to three places? Is something else going to happen? We were right next to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. We mutilated with them, you know, a lot. So we're like, okay, where's this going? What's going on? And it was the big question mark, the big, you know, the the uh, book with blank pages thing. You know, we, we had the first paragraph, but after that, who's writing what? So, yeah, that was a lot of it. And like I said, just trying to figure out who. Yeah. Um, well, and that you for know, you, I mean, your Rolodex is quite vast, Dave. Well, there were, there were, there were, you know, um, like I said, the conferences being involved in the conferences and working side by side, learning these people, getting to be friends, having a beer with them, uh, you know, making friends The the, one of the fellows that, uh, perished, uh, champ had introduced me to him and Dana Hannon. Yeah. And Dana, Aaron Heller had asked, I had a little training company back then with Bob Swick uh, and some of the guys. And Aaron Heller had asked me to pack up and come to Jersey, uh, to New Egypt, to help them do a uh, truck company operations class. So I said, that's awesome. I'm bringing Swick and I'm going to get, you know, Mike Champo, Greg Einsfeld from Rescue 3, and Dana Hannon. Because I taught with these guys. Yeah. Greg and I taught together right. at FDIC exclusively, FDIC uh, Indy and FDIC West in, in our little teaching group, along with Greg Falkenthal and some other guys. And Greg Einsfeld and I had become good friends. Our, our demographics were kind of the same, family, et cetera. Um, you know, I'm wondering, geez, you know, is he there? type of thing. Um, and I had worked around and, and you, you know, you sit down and you have pizza and you have some beers, you know, Andy Fredericks, uh, became friends with, with him and Billy McGinn. I had met chief Downey at, uh, at all these things. So, and that was, uh, Chris Blackwell from rescue three yeah. as well. Um, so I'd had a chance to hang around these people. It, you know, it was ironic that, we were, I think, FDIC West in Sacramento earlier that year. And I was scooting down the hall and I saw Andy and John Cirillo and Andy tossed me a hat. He goes, hey, you want one of these? I'm like, well, thanks. You know, yeah. squad 18. Yeah. Um, and and they're, they're by Harry Davis and Jerry Tracy and, and all these people that, that we got to know. Yeah. Uh, this extended family. So... 
that and then when Aaron asked me to bring the truck company, it was Dana and Champ and Greg. And that was the last time I saw Dana was August 18th. Wow. So just a couple of weeks before. And he had just uh, had proposed to his fiance. They were down in Australia, went up on the, the big bridge up there in the Allison. fire department. Yeah, Allison. Mm-hmm. Yep. I see um, her. I still I see her often. She's uh, she's a friend. I don't I don't. Terry and I don't see her enough, but we when we do, it's uh, it's it's always we catch right up. Um, she's you, she's a beautiful soul. You give her a hug for me. I will. Uh, we 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 catch up on social media. Yeah, yeah. But the the other part was that after right after nine eleven, um, probably two weeks. So I paid all these guys. You know, I. I, I had my checking account for my training company. Dana's check was cashed. Um, he may have gone like Saturday or something. Right. And and it was cashed on the morning of, of 9-11. Went into his account or whatever. Wow. And I still have that. You know, he endorsed it and everything. And um, that is with a sketch that Sue did for me of Dana. Gave mm. it to me that Christmas. But... Yeah, it was um, it was far reaching. You know, I, I look at a lot of the people on the job today. Some of them, you know, just wouldn't remember, and others weren't even around yet. That's it. So I mean, so the, the job the job is, is getting younger and younger, right. and we have a lot of people that were children when nine when September eleventh of two thousand one. I mean, it's twenty two years ago, Dave. Twenty two oh, years. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my my friend Mike Mullen. I mean, he was my senior man. He was a task force leader uh, for the task force. He was on a job with me. He was my senior man, and um, his son was born like the week, you know, three days before, four days, something like that. Um, John Michael was born, and he's like, you know, could just just watch my family. So, so we obviously, you know did that when they shoved off so yeah let me let me ask you i know how connected you were um just through being at you know involved with all these the conferences at the time you know that the fire service back then it should be said was very different um than it is today in regards to conferences and opportunities you really only had fdic you had fdic west which was a scaled down version of FDIC, uh, typically in California on the West coast. And then you had firehouse expo, which was in Baltimore. And I think it bounced around in one or two other places, but you went to San Diego, San Diego, but you didn't have a lot of regional conferences that you have today. And so the opportunity to network was really at these big shows. Um, and so your network, um, it brought a lot of people into the big shows and that's where your network certainly grew, Dave. Right. So, I want to ask you the the weeks and months following. I mean, you know, it, it was recovery was the mission up front, and soon that waned to man. There's 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 no survivors. We 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 have nothing here, um, and then it went to can we find anything? You know, uh, right. uh, something to memorialize these people. There's so many families: FDNY, NYPD, New York City EMS, and then obviously the public also thousands of people. Yes. And a lot of people didn't have anything to take away from that to, to bury. And so we were burying empty coffins. Yeah. You're not wrong. The, uh, so Swick and I, uh, and families at the time 
we made a road trip. We went up when uh, the first person that I had heard about, and I want to say, I think it was Champ who just did a Herculean job keeping us informed. Yeah. Uh, for he was like the network. He was the pipeline. He just, you know, he did amazing work um, as far as letting us know. We, the first person that I personally knew, Andy Fredericks, uh, when he was discovered, and then there was going to be a funeral, and we were learning how strapped they were trying to get these done. Yeah. Uh, and Swick and I and our families, we road tripped to Suffolk in uh, or Suffern. Yep. There. Suffern, New York, Rockland County. Yeah. Yep. And I want to say, arguably, and somebody could say, no, 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 that's not true. But to the best of my knowledge, excuse me, at the time, we got there in the afternoon, like right after lunch. And Mark Wesseldine, who had worked with Andy for years doing engine work and all that, um, he's he's coming out of the, the viewing room and coming out into the foyer, and he looked up, and he, what do you say, you know? Right. And he's like, who's here? And I said, well, Swick and me are here. And he goes, could you guys do a casket watch? I think we were the first non-FDNY, um, first people outside of that, and even Rockland, you know, like out-of-staters, I guess, so to speak, uh, to do a casket watch, <laughs> right? I got my class A's on, everything else, and I'm like, oh, crap. No gloves? I forgot my gloves. Always. 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 Yep. I never have since. I actually carry two extra pair if I can. <laughs> Same thing. But... I get this tap on the shoulder. I turn around, and it's the chaplain from the West Point Fire Department. He hands me a pair of gloves. I have them to this day. And he goes, here, we're getting deployed anyway. I'm not going to need these. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. And I remember smacking a fool's pin into the lid, um, the you know, the burning globe. And, yeah. And saw a lot of friends there and all that. But it was, yeah, it was something. We, we tried to, to make some of the memorial services. Um, I went to uh, a memorial service in a, say, is it Whitesville, New York? Could where, be. Where Chief, not Chief Salk is from. Oh, uh, I think so. I, I, I do believe, yeah, I'm not overly familiar, but the, I think that's correct. Yeah, the memorials there and all that and... You know, um, there were guys from Squad 41. Of course, Stevie Gillespie's a great friend. Sure. Close, close, close friend. Mm -hmm. um, so we were trying to do as much as we could to, to show solidarity and presence. Of course. At, at different things. And then with Dana's family and all that. So, we you know, we stayed for a little while, stayed for a couple of days trying to do what we could, where we could, and then had to get back to work. But boy, I tell you, every time you were you were on the edge. Every time the phone rang, yeah, um, who is it? And it was Champ who called me the following St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we were at the Dublin Pub in Dayton doing our usual, and it was somber. I mean, it was still it was still there, obviously, 
he, I saw it, I see it's him calling. I go over and he said, Timmy Collette found Dana. Okay. And, um, found barcodes and, and things like that. Right. So from his gear, but yeah, it, um, it permeated for a long time. You know, I was just talking the other day with somebody we went up to, it was Oh two for the one year. And it rained like crazy, and you saw the French guys in their shiny helmets and all that yeah. for the uh, the big memorial service and the parade at the garden. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was just, oof. It, it was amazing to see the turnout at that. You yeah, know, yeah. Later, you know, all these years later, Dave, um, it still hits hard. You know. Um, I want to ask you every year as this day comes around, is there something that you do that's just important to you, whether it's just a, a quiet moment of reflection or uh, do you watch any of the, the na- reading of the names? Is there anything that you do or, or call someone I, that you, you know, yes, please I, there. I have a list and I call them the day before you do because I know that they're going to be busy. Sure. The next day I call them. I do my best to call them on the 10th, leave a message if I have to just a touch base. Um, but I have a list and I usually get a TV on someplace to listen to the reading of the names. And <sighs> some people are going to call me a whacker and that's fine. The day's up to it. Even right now, you know, um, three, four days up and a yeah. couple of days after I do my best to, if I'm going out to put a memorial shirt on yeah, from, you know, whether it's, whether it's from Dana or squad 41 or rescue three or, or whomever it, it, and it was from people that I had an association with, you know, I'm, uh, but some sort of, um, some sort of memorial shirt today. Um, John Lewis from Passaic had got me, uh, this really cool green one, but it's a, a memorial tribute. And I and the reason I wear those, and I'm not trying to strike up any conversations. I just want people to look and go, "Oh wow, September 11th's coming." Yeah, you know, and yeah. just hey, you know, it, it happened. It's real. You know, their the ramifications are still around today. Just so they go, maybe go back and and think about take a second. Um, last night I had um, had a shirt on, and we were at our little street vendor show in the next town over where Sue sells her artwork and a guy stopped by and he says, you're on the job. And, you know, and I said, no, I said, I'm retired out of Ohio. I said, you know, good friends, et cetera. He was a, he's a retired cop out of Teaneck. Wow. You know, so, so we talked, we talked about the day. Yeah. So, yeah, but powerful. Now that's, yeah, that, that's what we do. And, um, you said something, you said something that resonates with me before that the average person didn't, I forget what your exact words were, but you, I made a note of it and just the average citizen has a hard time processing it. Um, like we do, of course, but for somebody that doesn't even understand, um, what they're watching, right. You talk, Oh, that's right. You were talking about being in the hospital and with the, with the people. And you said the civilians there didn't know what they were watching. And And, as a ahead, Right. And they were so detached from it. Yeah, right. Uh, that's that's happening in New York. And I said, I could probably give you 20 names right now of people that are there if they're on duty today. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. so, and it's just different. But, but that's what we do. We know that. And, and you know, whether it's 
whether it's that or, you know, the Worcester fire or the sure. Charleston fire or the Back Bay fire in Boston or, you know, whatever. Um, when we hear or see these, and especially now with today's social media and the immediacy, it, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of, some of the chat groups you and I are on, how fast does that travel? Oh, of course. Where, Absolutely. And I was I was gonna say, and the reason why I was saying that too, just to back up what you what you're saying, is that twenty two years later, most people have forgotten. You know, it's a it's a it's a chapter in the history book. But for us, for the people that listen to this podcast, right? For for you and I and the others that I've asked to join me here, it's a scar that that is a wound that constantly is reopened. Um, and and I say that in a way that I don't fault the public i don't i we're just connected very differently to the tragedy of that day um and i think we need to do a better job and if if wearing a t-shirt for the week before and a week after you're doing a small part in educating the public dave then bravo man you you keep wearing those shirts and you keep telling everybody a story or remind them about the sacrifice that occurred that day and the legacy that has come from that for our fallen and even for there are American citizens that fell that day um, and, right. and what that did to our country. It is an important chapter that needs to be discussed and we can't just make it a chapter in the history book. Right. And we were talking to somebody the other night and he had been involved in the financial world. Yeah. And 27 people that he had worked with perished in the one tower. Yeah. You know, uh, so it, it permeates. I, I think for, you know, like you said, civilian, PAPD, NYPD, the MS fire, um, the people that were there and were lost and continue to lose. It, it's a, that number is attached by a visceral reality, uh, not a, a observation reality, yes. I guess I should say. Yeah. You know, these, these people were directly players in it and their families and 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 on so down the line and that's just by association uh so to speak i i remember a couple people calling um when they finally got home you know i i would talk to their wives or or whatever and say i know they got you know hey i'm way down the list if they need to talk sure you know where i am and a couple did uh one of them i spent three hours on the phone with and I don't think if we said 12 words in three hours, right. Cause he lost his whole, you know, two thirds of his company. Yeah. Um, but if that's something we could do to help, then, you know, that's, that's why they call it the brotherhood, but it, um, yeah, you know, it's, well, thank you. Th those were her, who were directly involved. Um, you know, God bless them. And we can only be a support network for that. But. Whatever, whatever it takes. But I think the, the first step and in, in the main mission that we have is just talking about it and keeping it current um, and remembering those that did so much for so many others and, um, and so on. And it's just, uh, it's certainly something that's important to me. And, and I, I really felt that, you know, this project for my podcast on, you know, Monday the 11th of this year, 
Um, this is one that uh, hearing some stories of people that I truly admire, trust, consider mentors of mine. Um, I appreciate you just taking a few minutes today and just telling me about your story. Thanks, Dave. Oh, yeah. Uh, my honor and pleasure. You know, may God bless and keep them. And uh, hopefully we uh, don't have to go through anything like that ever yeah. again. Well said. Well said. Dave Gallagher, thank you very much for sharing a little bit of your story with me today. Um, like I said, it, we caught up the other day on the phone, and that was beautiful. Um, I appreciate but, that very much, by the way. Uh, I've done it. I do it all the, not all the time, but I, it's important to me to catch up with people that I really respect and I consider um, are very important to me. Um, and uh, if I could see you more or talk to you more, I would. But, uh, you know, it's nice that when we do pick up the conversation, it's right where we left off, and it's me hounding you about writing a memoir. So <laughs> I'm just putting it on record, so now you really can't back down. Yeah. But anyway... Um, Dave, I'm going to get asked. Yeah. Dave, thank you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. And um, you yes. take care of yourself. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your story today. Appreciate you. You, you too, brother. Be cool. safe and take well. Take care. Thank you for the You honor. got it. Take Thanks, care. Dave. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. So I got Jay Urban on the line. Jay, I, pre- I prepped you before oh, I, I called. And uh, I'm really interested in knowing where you were on September 11th of 2001. All right. Um, so I was working in Warwick, uh, let's see, one, about four or five years on the job. I think I was on engine one and, uh, I worked the 10th night tour and had to work the 11th. So it was the, the day in between my two nights when you work two days, two nights, four days off. So I worked my first night. We got crushed typical night on the engine. I remember being home on the couch, sound asleep. And, um, my fiance at the time called me, said something's going on, turn the television on. I turned it on and saw what was going on. And rather than stay home and watch it by myself, we usually met a bunch of guys like every day on a day off at the coffee shop down the street. So I filtered in, maybe three or four guys filtered in after that. And we spent pretty much the whole day until... We had to go back to work, just huddled around a very small television on the wall when we could have all been home, you know, watching it at the conference of our home. So we just kind of watched it, watched it all unfold, and then went into work that night and uh, not really knowing what was going on. You know, everybody had the expectation like they were going to help. You know, yeah. Everybody had that feeling, especially in the Northeast. And I remember going upstairs to, at headquarters to see Mike Bull Walsh, the deputy chief, and I walked in and he immediately said, we're not going anywhere. And I turned around and walked out. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much laying it down. But I mean, on a personal, like I was getting married three days later. Oh, wow. I know so many people that had weddings around that time. And um, some were canceled. Some were postponed. Um, Crazy times. Yeah. Ended up pulling it off, but you know, no, a few bridesmaids couldn't fly in. We obviously didn't have a honeymoon. Yeah, um, everything got canceled. I mean, everything was last minute, so we ended up pulling it off. But it was like, I mean, and here I am thinking that you know I'm the fireman, and I'm like, well, they're going to need me down there, so we can't have this wedding. I have to go. Yeah, further from the truth, but that's what you know the mindset you're in, like anybody else was, you know, thinking and. Um, I guess the biggest memory I have of it after is a couple of days later, you know, we're all going through it as a crew and everybody's doing their thing. And we went out to fill the boot, you know, to start collecting for the family. Sure. And we were out there in rush hour the next day in traffic or two days later. And 
we shut down the city and to the point where the cops had to tell us to stop because we backed traffic up so people were just crying and donating and you know we just talking to the public and just doing our part i mean that was all we could do you know i mean we're a suburban fire department three states away you know we did you know as best we could and you're all trying to hear about the stories of people you might have known and people you come contact with people you took classes from and that was essentially what it was about yeah the the humanity that day and and the days that followed you know there was this oh, sense yeah. of of you know country pride and and come together and all the nonsense literally stopped within our country um, for the weeks after. Um, and then, of yeah. course, like anything, we slowly get back to the norm. I want to circle back real quick because I found this really interesting because yeah. I have a similar story in some ways of when it happened. We all went to where we needed to be, and that was for us, the firehouse. But you went to yeah. the coffee yep. shop. And what yeah. was it? Why? Why? Like, what drew you there? What did you need from that? I, you know what I think I needed? Because that was our place that we went all the time. Yeah. We went there on our mornings after work. And everybody that worked on the same shift would just go there after work. And, you know, we were young. We didn't really have families then. So it was kind of our thing to go and kind of chill. It was the neighborhood place where I lived. And there were retired guys there. There were people, you know, from, you know, other city agencies that hung out there as well. It was yeah. a spot. Right. So, I mean, I instinctively went there. I mean, I could have gone to my parents' house and been with my dad. I could have gone this. But I don't know. That's the place where we chose. And it was great to just sit there in silence with people you knew and trusted that's the you know, that's, that's it man so. we we did the same at the firehouse i mean we're you know we yeah. we can see the new york city skyline where i am um oh, that's true and yep. and and not only that but our department's radio our our fire our response channels actually been uh fdmy citywide but on a pl on a on a private oh. line and so when yep. you take the pl off we can we can listen and we were listening to oh the audio in real time while watching it on television and you could hear a pin yeah. drop in that firehouse. And, but like yeah. you said, and you just nailed it, man, it was a place we needed to be. Not a word was really said between any of us yet. There was this need to be there within one another's company. And that right. is what we all needed. Yeah, absolutely correct. And that's just, you know, the way it was. And yeah. We just did that for years. That's, yeah. that's the thing that we do when you just go to rely on the people that you work with because you're your second family. And when your you know, nuclear family at home isn't around or at work or elsewhere, I mean, it's your default, all right? The fire service is in default. Yeah. You, know, you go there when you, you, know, you feel most comfortable at times. Yeah. Well, Jay, thank you. Thanks for um, thanks for sharing that with me. And um, you know, this yeah, this is a, a little project that I wanted to do. Um, people that I love, respect, and, and appreciate. I want to I want to just hear a little bit about their story on that day because for me, that day is such a standout. Um, being a part of it, witnessing it, um, and and all of that. So uh, this is my way. On the eleventh, we're going to put out a podcast of a mashup of just stories. Uh, from people that uh, I love talking to. So, brother, thank you for taking my call, and uh, I appreciate you, man. Be thank safe, you. and I'll be thinking of you, okay? Anytime, brother, as always. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Be good. Bye. Okay, so my next guest on the September 11th podcast, Jeremy Hurst. This is a brother who's retired out of Louisiana, enjoying the good life. <clears throat> Excuse me. He does some editing for us. He does a lot of work for me on the National Fire Radio and a uh, super talented guy who uh, I always enjoy talking to. He's always got this upbeat way about him. And, uh, you know, part of the storytelling here for this podcast 
is to talk to people from around the country. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked to people from California, Texas, uh, Louisiana, obviously is, is not in line with where any of this went down, but I'm curious about their response and, um, and their take on that fateful day. And so, uh, we're going to give Jeremy a call right now and see if we can get him on the phone and, uh, and we're going to get him going here to see what his story is all about. So bear with me one second. Jeremy Donch. My brother. How are you? What's up, man? Well, you're being recorded, so don't say anything you don't want to say. <clears throat> but you knew <laughs> that. But listen, man, this is um, this is a little bit of a project I'm doing. So right before I called you, I, I do a little intro on who I'm talking to, and then I say, hey, I'm going to dial him up. So just so you know how this all looks. But um, I mentioned that you've been doing some work for us, and uh, you're super talented, and I appreciate it. Um, you were on the podcast very long ago. Um, right. I, do you even know when that was? How long ago was that? Uh, probably a year, maybe prob- a year and six. Yeah, I bet you it's. I bet you it's close to two years. I bet. But uh, yeah, maybe so. That's pretty wild, man. But um, we had. I remember we had a great conversation, and uh, and since then, um, you uh, you rock some great video uh, video skills, editing skills, and so you've done some projects for us, and working on some more projects, and so on. So. I truly value um, you and and what you do for us. And uh, I was curious, you know, I'm, I'm talking to guys all over the country, um, people that I value, and I'm I'm curious about where they were on September 11th of 2001, where what part of life they were in, how they heard about it, what their feelings were, their reactions, um, and it's run the gamut of people that have been on the pile to people that uh, you know saw it on TV or they were in college class at the time. So. I'm just curious, man. You willing to share a little bit of your story with me? Yeah, man, absolutely. Please. Uh, I kind of remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, It was so vivid. And uh, I had just gotten off of a 24-hour shift. And uh, at the time, I lived probably an hour and a half from where my firehouse was. Uh, So I was just about home. And uh, my part-time called me and asked me, said somebody was calling in sick said, sure, let me go home, shower change. I'll be back on my way. And uh, I guess it was around 8 o'clock central time that I walked through the door of the firehouse. And this firehouse, it's it's pretty large. Uh, They had one at the time. And everybody was inside uh, glued to the television. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, they have a fire in the World Trade Center and FDNY's like just arriving on scene and uh that was that was pretty shocking to hear uh and just as i walked up the uh the second plane flew into uh the tower Mm. and I, i mean my heart sank everybody in the room gasped and uh we didn't know what was going on, but we knew how serious it was. And uh, I'll never forget that one of the battalion chiefs that was next to us started commenting on things that they were possibly dealing with. And, I mean, he was, he was on the money. Uh, and then we began to see... You know, more and more units arriving, the, the same TV broadcast as everybody else. And us thinking, you know, this FDNY, they got this, you know? Yeah. That, that's what they've always done. That's, yeah. That's, that's what they do. And uh, we saw the first tower 
go down and that was just it, it ripped everybody's hearts out right there i mean it was it was so uh i mean i don't even still to this day i don't have a word to describe that you know we all saw the same thing yeah uh and i still don't have the words to describe what we were watching uh at the time i, I didn't mean, was, i didn't get it, it horrible i didn't get it i didn't get the whole thing and and i we were involved and i i it was so hard for me one to comprehend that it was terrorism from the beginning i just my my innocent heart was like i it didn't even dawn on me until somebody said it and then i was like oh my god it makes sense and then when the i never thought the buildings could fall i di- i just didn't yeah. i I, yeah. I just never you know you you got to think that an icon there is a few iconic symbols of new york city which they say is the gateway to america right and right. and when you when you think about new york city you think about the empire state building at the time you think about um the statue of liberty and then right. you think about the world trade center those are Absolutely. three iconic symbols of of capitalism and freedom and liberty and all of that and every movie that i've ever seen in the 80s and 90s and 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 before right comedies dramas when they take place in new york city they always open with a shot of the twin towers yeah and so it's this iconic thing and they never did it dawn on me while we were watching this unfold would one of those buildings be able to collapse let alone no. both of them. No, it was the furthest thing from your mind because yeah. I, 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 initially when I saw it, uh, and I think it was, was it Tower 2 that was hit first? I believe, uh, yeah. W- you saw this this hole. You saw the fire. Uh, and, you know, being from where I was at, watching this on television, you know, transpire, you didn't get a real grasp of what you were looking at yeah for somebody who's never been there you know i'm from baton rouge yeah i had never been to new york city at the time and so uh we fast forward to uh a year later they also postponed the uh national fallen firefighters memorial that year uh and they did it the year after and since then we had uh we had met a few men and women from FDNY and the PAPD, uh, kind of just coming down to uh, an LSU football game and being recognized and things like that. And so when we went back up for the memorial service, uh, we also went to visit them at their firehouses and the PAPD personnel kind of escorted us around the site uh, and we got to go down you know it, it was a construction event at that point uh, but still had no grasp of what we were looking at and we were standing down in part of the construction and i want to say we were 11 stories down i could be wrong yeah but i looked up and got, i said do we need hard hats or anything like that to be in the areas that we're in uh he said no don't worry about it we're not we're not going to any dangerous spot and i said well there's, there's a giant pipe up there it's got water spewing out of it he said it's not a pipe that's a subway 
and it was so far above us you know it it, yeah it just kind of put into scope and i immediately at that point remember walking through the door of the firehouse and seeing a hole in tower two Mm. and somebody saying yeah somebody flew a plane into it can you believe that and i was like man what's What's a little plane? You know, I had no idea how I, large. I get it. It, it was, was. It was hard to. You're right. You're absolutely right. As I'm sitting here thinking about this, you think about the scale. It's hard to measure scale in in actuality when you're watching it on a TV screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you knew, you know what was going on. Uh, we weren't thinking anything about terrorism until you saw that second plane fly yeah, in. Right. And like, man, that's that's not an accident. You know, that it just doesn't happen that way. Uh and then the calls, you know, of another plane going down, uh and then the Pentagon being targeted and it all started to come together and I still don't have words to describe that. Uh but I can say that you know, throughout my career, uh, from that point moving forward, and I just retired a couple of years ago, uh, every member that I have met, you know, from the FDNY and PAPD are just next level, higher caliber person, like just without the fire department and all of that, these are just some great men and women that I was lucky enough to meet. And, uh, yeah, it was just, you still can't believe it happened to this day. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you for sure. I, I'm curious about, you know, I'm talking to guys from all over the country and, you know, the impact obviously is different from where you are and, you know, in, in Louisiana where you are, I'm just curious, you know, being a little bit disconnected, you were, you were seeing this just through media and that that's all you had. Right. And, and so, right. and then the storytelling that comes out of that and, and, so on. I mean, what did you have that sense when when you heard? I mean, you told your story a little bit there, but you needed to be at the firehouse like you needed to be around because I know a lot of the conversation I've had with people is when when something like this happens, they they immediately think they need to be at the firehouse or at a place where they're with people um, that they need to surround themselves with. And a lot well, of t- like nothing's being spoken, but we're all in the same room together, watching it together. And that's what's most important. Yeah. And and that's, that's exactly what happened for us. Uh, we have a (laughs) Exxon, a pretty, pretty large facility here in Baton Rouge. Mm. And, uh, a lot of people were just waiting on the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, these things are happening there. What about here? And and everybody kind of went into that mode. And I remember getting a call from my battalion chief at the time. And he said, Hey, just to let you know, we're not calling everybody back, but get your stuff together. Uh, and I told him where I was at, and I was like, look, man, I'm, I'm on duty today. Somebody called in sick. You know, they still got a cover. It's, it's actually in my home, current hometown uh, where I was working part-time. And I said, you know, they still need coverage for today. Uh, and he said, well, if you want to just come up here, that's fine. If we do call people back, I'm going to need you back your company officer on the engine and they're talking about staging things just in case Exxon goes on alert. I was like, this could happen here. Yeah. 
you know. It it certainly changed the game. Nobody nobody had any inklings of what terrorism could look like like this. Right. right. I mean, we just we didn't I mean, I didn't I didn't know that, you know, we that would even be, um, you know, something that was thought of. And, um, you know, and then it opened up the door to every potential target and everybody felt that they have targets in their own community. So everybody was heightened. Everybody. Right. Right. And they did. You know, what well, wasn't a target at that point? Right. That was the feeling that came over. everybody. That's right. That's right. If this can happen there, it can happen in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, the, like you said, that's the gateway to America, yeah. and it's happening. Yeah. So it definitely left uh, some real bitter feelings. Uh, I didn't know the scope of what I was viewing. Um, but then, you know, afterwards when you saw all the missing, uh, and and that was still, man. It's to this day, I don't have the words to describe it. And, and I don't, I don't think anybody other than people that were there, uh, could actually accurately describe what was going down. Yeah. Uh, I just know the feelings that I was feeling and, uh, I felt it an honor to be able to, to, to participate in the, uh, fallen firefighters Memorial that year. Yeah. And this was two years past. Uh, and there were so many honor guards and firefighters and families there. I had never heard silence like I had, and mm -hmm. I haven't heard it since when the motor coaches of the family members of the 343 drove past. Now, this is, you know, to set the stage, this is one of the only civilian, uh, I guess you would call it a parade, uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue. And we're all lined up as far as you can see. And the, the busloads of family members drove in. And they had a picture in the window of, uh, well, some of them did, of the loved one that was lost and never experienced anything like that before or, or since, uh, that, that, that just really touched everybody that was there. And I'm talking thousands of, uh, men and women there to, uh, to pay honor to them, you know? And when we saw that, it was just made a lot more real. Yeah. Uh, you're not participating in an event. Uh, this means something to somebody. So, yeah, a lot there, brother. A lot there, and thank you for yeah, sharing that. Yeah, still get choked up talking about. Yeah, it. well, it, it, listen. I mean, it's incredibly emotional. Even twenty-two years later, how could it not be right? And yeah. you know <clears throat> what I find really not fascinating, but very interesting is even I used the word disconnected before, and I I, I regret saying that word. I said you were disconnected because you weren't in the immediate area where where these things happened, whether in at the right, Pentagon right. or. But it's not disconnected. You were very much connected. It was more of just you're not local to it. And and for me, though, here's the thing. It's like hearing your story now and the emotion that comes up in it. You didn't know, you know, uh, you were pretty removed from it, and yet it touched you and those around you 
and it didn't matter. Borders didn't matter. It didn't matter where you're from. It doesn't, it's just, it's the humanity of it and it's the, the job of it. And, um, you know, for you right. to be a part of what you've done to recognize and to memorialize those and, and let their stories and legacy live on is huge. And it, it affects you to this day. And, um, it's incredible. Absolutely. And I still haven't, you know, during that, uh, that time of year, every year, uh, I have two young daughters, one 13 and one nine, and I still haven't explained that to them, uh, cause it's just so heavy, you know, they know what, they know what happened. They know what went on. Uh, I haven't explained it to them from my perspective and from the perspective of the men and women that I was fortunate enough to meet that were there. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they're ready for that, that gravity. I get it. I absolutely get yeah. it. Um, I think it's important though, that they are aware, um, you know, to what level, absolutely. you know, but you know, we need to educate our young. We need to, um, we need to make sure that, you know, this doesn't get lost and we don't lose um, the meaning of what happened that day, what, how the world changed that day, um, the sacrifices that uh, the firefighters and, and other first responders made that day, along with our innocent civilians that were, you know, just, uh, I don't know, by chance happened to be in, in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. And I, I don't like saying it that way. It's just lack for better words. But, you know, this was, a, this was just something that, that randomly occurred in a, in a, in, in, uh, in, everybody was innocent. They were murdered. And, um, we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of that. We need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the importance of such an event and that the memories of those don't get lost. And, you know, we have a duty, we have a duty for that for sure. I want to ask you one more question before I cut you free. I know it's a college football Saturday and you got to get running. Um, is there something that you do each year on September 11th that, is just uh, you find yourself every year, whether it's taking a moment of silence or, or a quick prayer or you make a phone call and call a buddy that you haven't talked to in a while. Like, is there something or just attending a, a, a memorial service? Is there anything you do um, on September 11th? Are you in a particular mood that day? Is there something that you need for yourself that day? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's usually uh, the night before. Uh, and every year since then, uh, I, I don't get into, you know, all of these posts, uh, that are extremely wordy, uh, and, and my viewpoint every year, uh, on that morning, I just post a list of names, uh, and I read it every year. Mm. Uh, some of them, I, I know their faces, some of most of them, I don't, uh, but no explanation needed. It's just a list of names, you know, and uh, that's something that that should be remembered for forever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's a list of the three forty three, um, and there's nothing that needs to be said, you know. I do. It, I do. I, I, I think about, you know, it's, I, I've been asking a lot of the guys that, that are doing this podcast with me that question at the end. Um, and you know, it ranges, it's all over, you know, one guy calls a guy that he was with that day. They don't really talk anymore, but every year they connect on that day 
or another wow. guy, you know, remembers the meal they ate and, and, you know, and that's something that's memorable to him and they replicate that or whatever it is. Um, you know, everybody's got their thing. I think the thing is, whatever it is, you know, don't let that fade away. Um, you know, I no, think it's, absolutely not. it's, it's, everybody has their way of dealing with it, um, and, and dealing with the impact of it. And, uh, and it's, it's those moments that, you know, make it real and keep it real for us. And so that the next year we do the same thing again and that we make sure that we're doing our part to never forget. And, and, you know, Dave Gallagher, who I, I really, um, he's, he's really a mentor to me. I, I highly, highly respect him in so many ways. Um, he said something really interesting to me, and I want to share this because you're going to be one of the last uh, installments on this episode. And so I, I want to reiterate this. He talks about the week before and the week after September 11th, he wears a T-shirt, a memorial T-shirt that he has. He's got, you know, like all of us, we have so many T-shirts and we part of the part of the thing is in the fire service, like, oh, you're just a T-shirt guy. You're there for the T-shirt. Right. But the, but the thing is this, the, the T-shirt does a couple things and he mentioned this to me and it really resonated with me and I actually thought about it for a long time last night because I have a lot of a lot of my memorial t-shirts have been bound onto boards and they're put on my wall and they're actually a sound uh sound absorbing part of my studio and I'm looking at them right now and I have a ton of September 11th shirts on my wall and you know for me it's it's a way for me every single time I walk into my recording studio my office it's on the wall and it's a reminder every single day I look at it and um, it's a reminder for me, but Dave talks about wearing it and he goes and every once in a while, every year or every other year or something, somebody will come up and say something about his shirt or it starts a conversation. Hey, you a fireman, you on the job. It's a way to keep the conversation going and making people aware that September 11th is still a wide open wound for so many. And I think, oh, yeah. and we can't fault civilians and we can't fault the public for forgetting. It's, it's, they, they're not, they're not involved like we are. They, they, um, it, we, you know, and so it's, it's hard. It's hard. We can point blame and say they need to do better, but we need to do better at educating and keeping that conversation alive and going. Um, and yeah. if, if wearing one of those, you know, t-shirts that you purchased 20 years ago, 21 years ago, after September 11th and you still have one, maybe put it on and be proud of it and, and talk yeah. about the individual that that shirt represents or talk to your postman, the guy at the ice cream shop or the, the guy at your cleaners about it. If it comes up in conversation and take a minute and talk about September 11th, because that matters. Absolutely. That's that, that was the, uh, the purpose of just posting the roster yeah. uh, of that day is, you know, it's not a generalized thing. These people have names. Yes. They had families. Yes. They were sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, and that matters. You know, that the compassion element to our job, uh, you, you can be the best firefighter in the world if, if you don't have that compassion uh, for your fellow man and what they're going through, you're missing something. And so you're right that, that, that does, you know, start some conversations. And, uh, I think those are, those are good conversations that needs to be talked about. Yeah, for sure. Jeremy Hurst. Thank you, brother. Thank you for joining me for a few minutes today on the podcast and just, um, you know, hearing your story and sharing your story about September 11th. 
Um, I appreciate you. Thank you for all you do for me and um, your friendship. Thank you, and, brother. Uh, hopefully in a few weeks when I'm down your way, we can cross paths. It would be nice to see you. Absolutely. We'll have a great time. Good, buddy. Enjoy your day. Go LSU. I'll see you later. All right. You too. Take Go care, Tigers. buddy. See ya. Bye. Bye. So my next guest on the September 11th episode is District Chief Joe Minahan out of the Boston Fire Department, um, a decorated firefighter, a man that uh, shared an episode with me a while back, um, which was just an incredible uh, conversation, a very powerful conversation. Um, and so I value Joe. I value his candidness um, and his friendship. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to hear his story. So join me. Chief Jeremy. Hey Jeremy, how's it going? I'm fantastic. How are you? I cannot <laughs> complain. It's You're the uh, summer of vac- vacation and and spending time with the kids. So. Ah, it doesn't get any better than that. That's good. Enjoy them. Squeeze them tight because uh, it goes quick. My my kids are uh, well, fifteen and sixteen are my two youngest now, so it goes very fast. Um, yeah. So enjoy it. Fourteen, twelve, ten, and seven. I love it. That, that those are wow, all close ages too. Yeah, it's pretty all right. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Very cool. Well, Chief, thank you for joining me. Real quick, um, what I'm trying to do, I'll, I'll explain a little bit. Um, I'm trying to grab. Uh, what I'm doing is grabbing some people that I, I really appreciate, admire, um, and consider them, uh, you know, special to me. And you're certainly one of those uh, people. That the time that we got to share together on the podcast was memorable to me. Um, and so I. I for September 11th, I'm just trying to capture some stories, 10, 15, 20 minutes of just, you know, uh, people's stories about where they were that day, um, how it impacted you, some memories and thoughts that you have. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Um, I'd, I'd love to ask, what's your story from September 11th of 2001? Yeah. So, uh, I, again, I appreciate you, uh, you having course. me on. This is, uh, it's great. So September 11th for me, um, I was actually in the fire academy at the time, mm. um, and our fire academy is out on a place called Moon Island in Boston Harbor. Yeah. So uh, we have a direct line of sight, you know, to uh, to Logan Airport. Okay. So um, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute, but um, in the mornings we we typically did our you know our, our whatever mile run. I think this was a five mile run that morning. Uh, came back to the classroom. And our drill master at the time, his name was Hugh Duffy, uh, one of the best of all time, just an absolute goat. I mean, you can't you can't beat this guy. Uh, pulled us all into the classroom. Normally, we go take our showers, cool down, whatever. He said, "Get up in the classroom. We're going to watch some TV." And we all thought this was part of his shtick. You know, this was all okay. What, what's going on now? Sure. And uh, he said, "Sit down. A plane just hit the World Trade Center, and it wasn't by accident." And we're like, "No, no, this didn't happen." And then as we're sitting there watching the live feed, uh, the second plane strikes the other tower. And all of us, we're just, we're trying to figure out what movie this is from and, and how this, you know, this made, they made it look so real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were all bewildered is, is a nice way of putting it. Um, yeah. So, so I, d- sat there I didn't the- get it. I didn't, I didn't understand it was terrorism. I was saying that before with Mo Davis. I, I, I did not understand that it was terrorism on our turf. I, I just didn't get it. I thought yeah. it was a terrible accident in some way. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, uh, I, and I think, again, this, just him being as great as he was, he, he just, 
all, all signs yeah. you know, sort of pointed to, yeah. to, to something bad. And, um, you know, one of the things that to this day that still sticks with me is, is, you know, again, knowing my story and knowing what, what my family had gone through. Yeah. Uh, he, at the top of the front of the class said, um, guys, firemen are dying today. And this is still early in the incident. We, we didn't know anything was going to happen. He said, firemen are going to die today. If anybody wants to walk out of that classroom, we completely understand. Uh, and not a single person got up and left. You know, everybody was in, everybody was all in. And, and to this day, they're all still all in. So, mm. um, you know, having a voice like that uh, and you could, you could hear the, the somberness in his, in his, you know, usual ball busting, you know, drill master type way. Uh, he brought us all crashing down to earth. Put it bluntly. I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of so many things, right? So um, you suffered tragedy within your own family, within the fire service. And so I, I have to think that sitting in that classroom that day, I, I can't even imagine what thoughts were going through your head as he was saying that. But I'm also envisioning the guy next to you that comes from the inner city of Boston that doesn't know anything about the fire service. And this is yeah. his indoctrination to it. I mean, this is he's sitting in the fire academy learning about the fire service as a beginner. And this is what's being told to him. Yeah. And, and was the beginning. We, we started August 16th of that, of that year. And this was September 11th. It wasn't wow. even a month in on, um, you know, we, we all kind of, you know, we tried to make the day continue, but everyone was just sort of at a, at a loss. And at one point our drill master said, okay, guys, it's time to go do X, Y, Z. And everyone was just like, wait, what? And, and he, again, very bluntly was like, listen, bad stuff happens to good people, but we still need to get up every day and do our jobs. Yeah. And my job is to get you ready to be firemen. And, and you know, he persevered and we, we went through it. And yeah, he was, again, he was the goat. That, that's strong. What the, the bond that your class had, I mean, I have to think, the, the time leading through your academy had to be shadowed by everything that was happening. I, I'm sure Boston sent a tremendous amount of resources to New York City. Um, I'm sure that there yeah. was constant talk about it. Um, you're surrounded by it, and you're still living out and getting involved in your own probie years and, or probie weeks in, in the academy. I mean, it just had to be consuming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so for us, it started, uh, you know, that, that day, you know, he said, everybody grab your, your the, the gear that you've just been issued and fit it in last week. Take it home with you because you may be going to work. We don't know how far this is going to extend. And that's when it got really real for a, a lot of us. Like, oh, crap. Like, we're brand new. And, and I had the fortune of, uh, like, spending a couple days in a firehouse here and there throughout my life. And uh, I was kind of at a loss. But now we're being told, okay, guys, you may be going to work tomorrow. The academy may be over and we may be. We may be at war, basically. And, um, you know, that that was hard to swallow for for, for me anyway. As yeah. a non-military guy, I, I, I didn't have that, that background. I, yeah, I, 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 I remember how confused I was. I was so confused over all of it um, and being a, a, a witness to it um, up front and close, you know, from the shoreline of New Jersey as it all as it all transpired. 
it's amazing how the the story of of what transpired that day. Everybody's got these incredible stories about where they were and and where you know it's one of those moments in time that nobody will ever forget, right? There's certain moments in time that people just don't forget, and this is certainly one of them. How how impactful was it for you? Like you know, um, did it did it make you refocus? Did it uh, did it? Uh, I guess. I'm trying to ask, like, you know, did it put things in perspective a little bit more for you? Um, did it pull people together? Did your probie class come together a little bit tighter? Do you, is there, you know, things like that that you can remember? Um, yeah, I would say we came together um, more so than, you know, we weren't a, we weren't a huge class by, by any stretch. We weren't a small class. But, um, you know, to this day, I can remember, I, I talked to guys who don't remember the, oh, I think that guy was in my class. I'm not sure. Yeah, right. And, I know everybody that was in my class and, and I can tell you where they are today because we do keep in touch and we, we do um, take, you know, take interest in each other's lives because we did live that very personal time. Um, even though we weren't connected to it, we were all kind of forced to be connected to it. Mm. That makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. What do you do now? Um, 22 years later, I mean, you know, this is, uh, you've had a, a, an incredible career. You're a district chief now in Boston. Um, every year when September 11th comes around, uh, it's going to be Monday this year. Um, anything you do that's memorable for you, something that you, you know, whether you, you keep in touch with the guys that you were in the academy with, or do you just take a moment of, of silence? Is there something that you do that's, uh, typical of your, you know, of, uh, in remembrance or, or just thoughts about the, about that day? Uh, I, I kind of, you know, I, I try to make sure my kids know mm. the, the stuff, you know, the, the heroism that went on that day, not so much the bad stuff. I, I don't, I don't want them to know, you know, about the bad people that did sure. bad things to good people as much as, you know, they will they'll learn all that eventually, but I, I want them to remember that, that people made a difference that day and that thousands of folks are alive because, you know, 343 brothers gave their lives yeah. for that cause. And I, I make sure that they know that. And, you know, we have those, um, we have a couple of those, you know, books that have been written afterwards that are designed toward, towards kids. And um, I make sure all my kids have, have read that a few times. You know, they just, they need to be aware that, that good people exist. I could not agree with you more. I, I, I think that that is one of the missions that we all are responsible to do. Um, and the fact that like when I talk to my kids, I mean, I listen, I, I go to the same ceremony every September 11th, which is a potluck dinner in Wyckoff, New Jersey. And I, I go every year and I think I've missed twice since September 11th of 01. Um, and, and the one was because my kids were starting in a new school and it was back to school night. And I felt that I had to go for my kids, even though I was really, I mean, literally torn up about missing that dinner and that ceremony um, because it means so much to me and, and what it represents. And, and uh, you know, somebody that was Dana Hannah who was lost that day. And so on. There, there, I, I had such connections to this event that I always needed to be there every year. And they had a back to school night for my daughter's new school. I had to go and I was really upset about it. My wife knew I was really torn, but I, I felt that I needed to be there for my daughter and all these things. Fast forward, the president or the principal sees me. And he knew who I was, and he comes up, and he says, hey, Mr. Donch, he puts his hand out, shake my hand, and uh, I shook his hand, and I pulled him in very close to me. I literally grabbed his hand in a handshake and pulled him in close, 
and I'm probably standing six inches from his face. And I go, listen, tonight's September 11th. I'm not sure why you or the school board chose to do this on tonight. I go, but you're making myself and my kids miss a ceremony that is important to my family. And I had to choose my children over the memory of 9-11. And I go, this is wrong. I said, the school needs to respect this day. The school needs to do better. And he looked at me and he didn't know what to say. And he, he almost like, not welled up, but he, he, he knew, he felt the power of that conversation when I said that to him. And, um, and he, he got, uh, he looked at me and he said, he's like, Mr. Donch, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, just scheduling and this and that. I said, I don't, I don't care about scheduling. I said, we need to do a better job. We cannot forget, you know, never forget means never forget. I, I didn't say that to him, but I said, we can't forget. We can't forget. And, uh, and with that, I let him go. <laughs> And he backed up and yep. like ran away. Well, and I, I was upset. I was upset and I was angry because people in that room that night forgot all about it. Well, that's it, right? We, we talk about never forget, never forget, never mm. forget. And then, you know, two weeks after, and this isn't just 9-11, but two weeks after a tragic event, everybody forgets. Life moves on. And, you know, some right, wrong, and different. I mean, we, we may need to accept that, that sometimes that happens, but sure. uh, I refuse to let my kids forget. You know, they weren't even there. So, I mean, how can they, they can't remember, but, you know, it's ingrained in their heads. And if I tell them, if I say what happened on September 11th, they know, right? Yeah. My, my nine-year-old boy can tell me what happened because yeah. he's heard the stories. And he should. And he should. Every nine-year-old should know what went, what happened that day and the heroism that was performed um, and the, and, and not only that, but I chief, I think one of the, one of the biggest things that came out of that was the weeks that followed, there was nothing happening within our communities. There was no division. There was no divisiveness. This was everyone came together, every color, every race, every ethnicity, crime stopped all of it. We came together as one in a commonality of tragedy. And uh, I'll tell you, man, it was it was certainly a memorable time um, and 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 so on. And I just uh, I don't know. I, I really appreciate you, though, sharing that. I, I didn't know you were in the academy at the time. That's um, that's pretty interesting. That's an interesting story. Well, for it, sure. It, and that's, you know, fun, funny. We talk about the weeks and stuff that follow. Right. The um, Logan Airport. Yes. I, oh, that's right. You mentioned airport. that. Yes. Which was shut down, right? There wasn't a plane taking off. Well, one of the planes, one of the planes involved, left from Logan, did it not? I believe. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So the day that that Logan opened up again, right? Mm. We were in the middle of we were doing what we called up and overs, where you climb up a ladder, across a roof ladder, down the ladder, and then onto another ladder, and and all of a sudden we hear this plane take off, and everybody stopped, including the drill master and all, all the instructors, and we all just kind of looked at the sky. Like we had never seen an airplane before. Wild. Because yes. we hadn't re- we hadn't realized how quiet things yes. had been until the plane took off. And you go, oh my god! Like this is the first plane we're witnessing. You know, in, in a sense, we're witnessing a little bit of history. This is the first time a plane has taken off post 9/11 uh, from Logan Airport, and we all watched it. And it was it was like a bunch of kids who had never seen you know uh, an airplane take off before just stop and stare. You're you're 100% right. I didn't even think of that. My wife talks a lot about the fighter jets because of where we are. The fighter jets were circling Manhattan and they were going up and down the Hudson River, come around the south bend of of Manhattan Island. They'd go up the East River, come around the Bronx and they would just circle. They were circling and circling. 
Fighter jets are not quiet, man. Um, and, no. you know, my wife, who was home uh, while I was at the firehouse and then, you know, involved in, in responding and all these different things. But my wife's home uh, with the kid, with my two older kids who were tiny, like little kids at the time. Um, and she was upset. People were upset. People are sitting on the front steps in the neighborhood. They're not, they just like community and, and a sense of like sadness, but this overwhelming pro America and pride. And, and it just, it was an incredible time, but I, the, the planes, I forgot about not seeing an airplane in the sky for like three days or something like that. Wasn't yeah. it three, four days? Yeah. It, it was, it was, I, I couldn't, re I can't remember exactly, but it was, I'll tell you when it took off, watching it take off and hearing it. And I could, I could only imagine. Yeah. That's, it was like a record scratch, you know, or a screeching of, of a record. Right. Everyone turned their heads. Wow. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Well, today we take the noise of airplanes flying overhead for granted. We don't even look up, you know, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. and back then that was a whole different, had a whole different meaning. So chief Joe Minahan, thank you. Thank you for, um, sharing your story with me today. I appreciate you very, very much. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for never forgetting. Uh, yeah, we can't, we, we have one job and, and that is to remember those that have come before and have set the stage for us. And, uh, and if, if we can do anything, it's never forgetting so we can give them the gratitude and, and legacy that they deserve. So chief, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate you as always. Um, have a wonderful weekend, and uh, it was good catching up with you for a few minutes. All right. Thank you, sir. Cool. Thanks, Enjoy. Chief. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, so my next guest on the 9-11 special, September 11th, 2001 special on the podcast, Cameron Gangbin, a captain in uh, Napa, California with Cal Fire. Uh, I met him on an absolute chance encounter uh, while Terry and I were touring Napa Valley for a few days. Uh, an absolute gentleman, somebody that I very much highly regard as a good, solid person, an aggressive, great boss and firefighter, and he's always smiling, living that California BMX lifestyle. I love this guy, and uh, I'm excited to talk with him. So let's see if we can capture Cameron's story. Hey there. My man. Hey, buddy. Ah, it's so good to connect with you. Um, ran your episode, a replay episode the other day. Did you see that, by the way? Uh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, no, no, I didn't. You ran it on your, no, I didn't. Yeah, I just, we posted it, uh, I think last week I ran it as a replay because I'm running, running some of the old episodes again because I want them to get another run through. And uh, I put yours up because yours, uh, man, towards the end, you were fired up and talking some good stuff, man. So always an absolute pleasure to connect with you. Um, before I called you, I gave a little intro about who you were and then I, I dialed the phone. So when you listen to this, you'll, you'll hear all that. But I was talking about how a chance encounter in Napa Valley, California turned into just this incredible back and forth that you and I have when we have the opportunity to do that. And, um, I want you to know that I'm grateful for the friendship and relationship that's come from this. And uh, I just appreciate you very much. And so uh, part of that is for me, uh, for the for the September 11th podcast this year, I'm just capturing stories of people that I really respect and hold high in regard in my life. And you're one of those guys. And um, I just 
really wanted to capture your story, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, shopping at the supermarket or something, you know, just on a, a mega, mega, you know, latitude situation. I just, I'm curious about where my friends were that day. And so I'm curious if you would share your story with me. Sure. And I just appreciate all the nice stuff you said. I feel the same <laughs> way about you too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable for me to uh, talk about this only because on the West Coast, you know, I wasn't affected. I get it. You know, the chain of events, it's like, how does this relate to where I was? Like, it really doesn't. But where I was is, uh, since I'm in California, we we're three hours behind. So yeah. I was, it, it happened about 5.45 in the morning when the first plane hit the tower. And I saw I was in bed. You know, I woke up when I, when I realized what was going on, I heard the chatter from my roommates about 6.30 in the morning. At that time, both planes had hit the towers. Right. Uh, and so I kind of woke up to the chatter, kind of, you know, what's going on, went out to the living room. And just like the rest of the world, I just watched it uh, <clears throat> unfold on the news, you know, and replay and repeat. But what was significant about 9-11 and me personally is that I had just gotten to the fire service that June. So I was only a couple months into wow. being a firefighter. It was new. It was exciting. Um I knew, I knew like uh, the moral character that it took. Sure. Well, I had an idea of what the moral moral uh, character it took to be a firefighter, but that day changed uh, the way the world looked at the fire service, looked at firefighters, how yeah. we act, how we how we behave, and and, and what's expected of us. And yeah. I was kind of like wondering if I was going to be able to really measure up to that. Like I had my own ideas, but this this changed everything. I mean, you know. It really did. I mean, it changed the narrative across the board, right? And for the for the more senior guys, guys that have been on the line for many years, right? So I'm interviewing a lot of different guys from all over. And I was really curious your story because I know you're a little bit younger. Um, and so I was, you know, and, and on top of that, being on the West Coast, I know that the impact was very much different there. Plus, with the time change, I mean, your your story is very different from from mine, you know, and uh, and and that's what I'm looking to capture. And I'm curious. So you said you you came into the fire service in June of that year. Yeah, June, so June, yeah, June 2001. So, um, were you still in proby? Like, were you still in proby class, yes. or were you uh, okay? Yes. Yeah, for my small town in Calistoga, yeah, I was still considered uh, my one month probation. They they gave me different gear and a goofy looking helmet, so I was still wearing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to think then you have this uh, expectation of what the fire service is, and then this happens, and yes. it really changed the narrative. And like I was saying, the saltiest of guys, all of a sudden, it put things in perspective a little bit more that things can get out of control very quick, and, and bad things can happen. And then for new people coming in that really didn't know what to expect, all of a sudden there is this tremendous sense of of uh, I don't responsibility. Like I don't know what the word is. What what were you feeling? Well, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but mm. I know that I was getting a lot of um, a lot of uh, credit for something I hadn't done. You know, so like uh. I was being kind of put in this like you know automatic hero, but I hadn't earned it. Like you know, I was like. Oh, you know, you, you're a firefighter. Oh, you're the, you know, it was, it was the public's idea of what we do and what they expect that I was seeing. But inside I was knowing like, I haven't earned this yet. I haven't done anything. I've probably been to a, you know, a car crash and a right. bunch of medical aids at this point. I hadn't really done anything to, or I felt like I had earned any sort of that light, you know, at the time, you know, at the time. So like, and then, uh, you know, I felt really kind of, um, uh, distant, you know, from, from the event. I mean, don't get me wrong. The whole country, the whole world was impacted that day, but now, you know, 
getting older and talk to people who you know lost sure. loved ones in that and like like you know that's it, it's it has a whole different meaning today than it did that day I, I I totally get it. I mean, I absolutely understand that. And I'm just I'm I'm you know hearing the stories of so many. I was talking to uh, District Chief Joe Minahan out of Boston, and he was wow. in the Proby class, which is on I think they said Moon Island, which is right by Logan Airport. And he's in that Proby class when on September 11th, 2001, and his class got very real very quick. Because all of a sudden it was like what you thought you knew about the fire service. And now you have the salty drill instructors telling you like people are dying. Firefighters are dying. And, you know, it puts the conversation, it makes it very real. And I, I talked about this with many people that, that have shared their story with me now on this project. You know, we went from a day of innocence. We went from a day of, you know, just normalcy and uh, to uh, something that was completely unfathomable at that time. Absolutely. Changed the game. Yeah, you know, I was a young 23, so I was just very naive, haven't really grown up to be a man yet. Mm. So, you know, when, when it unfolded, I, I couldn't even grip what was going on. Like, I'm still naive, like, oh, you know, still thinking it's an accident. Even after the second plane, like, I'm just like, I still couldn't wrap my head around how this world I felt so safe and protected after that. It was just, it was, you know, the way I looked at the world was different. And then of course the next yeah. 20 years of, you know, what unfolded, you know, it's, yeah, it's a different world. For sure. And I, you know, I was always, I was curious too, with the, with the time delay and you guys obviously on the West coast were waking up to it as, as things were unfolding, there was this, you know, delay. So um, you came into it when it was, you know, full speed ahead and um i can't imagine i know how i was and and what i was doing um but man i i couldn't it, it just was one of those things and for for you to be three hours behind i that just waking up and coming to and 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 seeing this unfold i mean it's uh god i can't even imagine i can't it's hard yeah, I was awake by the time the the North Tower with the first tower started to fall. And that was like, you know, that was shocking. So I was up and kind of watching the, the planes hit and loop on the news. And then and then the, the first tower fell. And I remember just like, oh, I just see it vivid. And then like afterwards, like I was still very new to the fire service, but I knew what a pass alarm sounded like. And then yeah. you just hear them in successions. And it was just like, you know, it just got, man, who Did you? Tough. Did you in the firehouse since you were so new? I mean, the the more senior guys that were there that have time on the job and so on. What was, what was those conversations when you came back to the firehouse? You know, it what really wasn't anything. I think we're all shell shocked. We didn't really talk about it. We just kind of all watched and watched it unfold together. I think, you know, back then it was. I mean, we had internet, but it wasn't the information we get now. Oh right, I mean, absolutely. You, you know, I had to come in, and it came from the news, and and so you know, there's a lot of speculation. So for the first couple. At least in the first week, it was just a lot of uh, confusion and just kind of shell shock, you know. It was just, uh, there wasn't really much talk about it, like mm. at the firehouse. I mean, there was talk about what was going on nationally, but not really about the incident. We didn't really have a lot of information. We just saw what was on the news. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So, so let me ask you this then. Uh, every year, it's been 22 years since. Um, every year, September 11th comes around. Is there is there something that you do that's... Just whether it's a, a moment of uh, reflection or, um, you know, a conversation or you, you give somebody a phone call or is there something that you do just to, I don't know, that seems to be your go to on, on September 11th of every year? You know, I'm, uh, I, I, have a, I have a strong belief uh, 
uh, I have a strong belief in God. And so I do a lot of praying. Uh, that's, yeah. I do that every day and especially 9-11. But with this one specifically, we have a bunch of events that we do within the county. And so our fire department will usually participate in one ceremony or another. Uh, they used to, you know, here on the West Coast, you know, it's such a shame that we used to, you know, we used to do something big every year. And as, as the time ticks by, you know, it's less and less. And that's kind of, I kind of woke up this morning kind of upset thinking about, you know, mm. this conversation and thinking of all the stuff that was done as a community. And now, you know, our newer generation does, doesn't even know about 9-11. Like it's barely talked talked about in schools. My my friend's a school teacher. They say they, they don't talk about it much. And uh, I was thinking how we all used to get together, you know, ring the bell and read the names and everyone stand at attention in silence. And we had, you know, we made it. And then every year it just seems to get less and less and less. And then like, I remember the theme was like, never forget, you know. Yes. Maybe it's just our generation. But I, I think a lot of it. Maybe, you know, it hasn't been over here. Just it doesn't seem like it's acknowledged as much as it was just 10 years ago. You're not alone. I mean, we had a front row seat to it here in New Jersey where I am and and people have forgotten. I, I told a story earlier on this podcast about uh, back to school night on September 11th. And I was upset about it because it made me miss a ceremony that I've been going to for for years and years, I've only missed it twice. And the, the school made me decide between supporting my daughter or sub, the, the events of September 11th and those that were killed that day and, and their memory. And, and I was upset and I, I pulled the principal in nice and close with a handshake and I told him how I felt. Um, we need to do a better job. We need to do a better job. We need to, um, we need to educate. We need our children to know. And if the schools aren't doing it, we should be doing it anyway at home. On September 11th, it should be a memorialized day. It should be get out, go to your community, do something good, and have some remembrance. And I, I'm a I'm a firm believer in that. Um, I think everybody needs to know about the legacy, about those that have fallen and what they did and the sacrifices they made that day, as long as as well as the innocent people that were that were taken, the civilians that were taken that day, just for going about life. Um, Super important, brother. Super important. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, every, you know, September 11th, they start to start with the shows and my wife and I, we can't even watch them anymore. They're just right? so, you know, like the, the, where it starts to roll out the chain of events. And, you know, the first couple of years, just like when it started unfolding on the news, it was, you just couldn't get enough of it, like the hurt and the pain. But now it's like, it's so unbearable to watch those events of, you know, watching them unfold. It just, it's so vivid. It seems like it seems like it's yesterday. Yeah, I also think too it's become very commercialized, which is upsetting to me. Um, yeah, that's and, it. And I I don't like, I I don't like how the attention gets poured on on that day, and and then September twelfth, we've already moved on. Um, we we need to do a better job, and and um and you know I know it hits differently too. I was just talking about this also, and I, I get your take on it, but it does hit different between the public and firefighters right it just hits us differently it does yeah yeah it does and especially especially you know i got to you know go over to new york and i got to do the memorial with the fdn guy who works for the fdny mm. down at uh, 114 and so he kind of took me through the memorial and that you know that had an impact <sighs> um, not i mean definitely sure not does. the one i had on him but like watching him go through it of course like you know i just kind of realized how detached i really was from the event and then the impact it did have on the community sure and, and the fire department, it was, uh, sure. you know, you go downstairs and turn the corner and see ladder three there, you know, and, and I got to find out like who Patty Brown and Andy yeah, Fredericks were right? and all these folks, you know, it's like, 
man. But you know yeah. what? You've done your homework, and you might have been detached that day because you were 3,000 miles away and three-hour time difference, but you've put in the work to learn the stories and to understand the sacrifice of that day. And, oh. you know, that is so important, and that needs to be shared. And uh, and that's why I'm doing this today. I just, you know, I, I didn't... doing it. Yeah, I just... It's important to me. It, it's... It is. I'm a, I love stories. I love storytelling. Um, and these are stories that uh, I'm very proud to have conversations with people that I really respect and, and, and cherish. And uh, so, my man, thank you. Thanks for just. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for taking 15 minutes of your day, man. And always good to catch up with you, too. It is. Man, truly. I just love what you're doing. Keep it going, man. I love the content. Love your guests, man. I just. I'm so backed up. I just listened to the Jared man and uh, yeah, man, you just got, you, man, you just got some, you got some great episodes. You know, what's really cool. I'm not going to lie. Um, I feel like I'm getting better at it and, and I love episodes where I get done with it and I go, that was good. I'm like that was, I felt good. Right. It just flowed. Well, the conversation was good. I got um, the one today that dropped uh, Sean Egan's is very good. And then next week, uh, Corley Moore and I got back together and we ripped, we went full throttle for over an hour. Uh, and that one's coming out next week. So killer. Yeah, I love it. Love it. I just, I always, I, I feel like I hang out with you more on the podcast ah, than I talk to you on the phone. I so it feels it. like we hang out a lot. So. Well, listen, man, call or text anytime. <laughs> Don't be a stranger. I'm going to wave to you next Saturday, a week from tomorrow. I'll be landing in San Francisco. Uh, and then from San Fran, I'm flying over to Maui. Um, and oh, we're going right. to, we're going to go document the fires in Lahaina and interview uh, the Maui brother and sisters that were affected by those fires. And this is going to be just an incredible uh, trip. And I'll be in San Fran next Saturday, buddy. I'll be thinking of you. If you need anything, let me know. I'm close by. I know that. Thank you. Listen, right, thank you for being a part of this. And thank you for being my friend. And uh, enjoy your weekend, pal. Take care. You too. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Cameron. Bye. Bye. So this next one, Mo Davis, a dear friend, somebody I highly respect in the fire service district 68 district chief out of Houston, Texas. Let's give him a call. Hey, what's going on, brother chief? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for taking my call. And thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with me, man. It was, it was great to catch up with you last night, just through text for a few minutes, kind of prompting you to, to hop on this call with me real quick. And I just want to grab you for, you know, a quick 15 minutes or so. Um, man, I love it. Yeah, what I'm, anytime I get to talk to you, I like it. Ah, I love you, man. You're, you always make me smile, make me feel good. <laughs> and uh, that's what it's all about, man, is propping each other up, right? I think it that is. we it need is. that. We need that's it. That's the brotherhood, man. Yeah. So this Monday is September 11th, 22 years since that fateful day in New York City. Um, you're yes. down in Houston. Houston. You've been a, a fireman and, a, and now district chief down there for many years. Um, you've yes, become sir. a dear friend of mine. And so what I wanted to do with this project when I put out my uh, September 11th podcast is I really just wanted to talk to people that I admire, people that I, I are contemporaries and, and um, people that are definitely bringing a lot to the game when it comes to the American Fire Service. So I'm just curious about your story on September 11th of 2001, where you were. Um, how you heard about it, yeah. et cetera. I'd love to hear your story. Man, I, I, I appreciate that. And man, I'm, I'm going to actually love getting this story out because, uh, so I was, I was on the ambulance that day, uh, myself and Herb Henderson, um, we had made an early morning run and like most 
trips on the ambulance. We knew the best places to eat. So we went to a, <laughs> uh, yeah, we went to a little bit nicer area of town than where we worked in. So we were in the lounge eating and I saw a plane flying to the building. Yeah. And I, and I thought, wow. And so um, I was sitting there and I saw the second one do it. And my initial thought, as silly as this is, I looked at Herb and I said, man, I think the computer system's down with guiding the planes. Yeah. And he yeah. said, you're crazy. We're under attack. I, didn't I never get, will forget him saying that. I didn't get it either. I didn't put it yeah. together. No. I mean, not in a million years where I thought anybody would have ever attacked us on our homeland. Uh, absolutely. It's just um, so instantly um, it was bad. And I saw I saw the fire. And so we got in the ambulance. We went back to the station. By the time we got back to the station, uh, things was getting worse and worse and worse. And we saw the collapse. Yeah. And I can remember just a gut wrenching feeling like, you know, I didn't know how many people were dead. And I just kept thinking that we saw these guys walking up to the building and after it happened, I thought to myself, they had to know that they may be walking to their death. Right. And just, it just shows you how good firemen really are. Mm. And, and so, um, we got put on lockdown the city as far away as Houston is from New York city. We got shut down. Sure. The stations were locked down. Um, we have a lot of chemical plants, large medical center. And I can remember the FBI was, was real um, active and we were getting updates. So my senior captain assigned me to the computer room and I was, it was a teleprinter back then. Yeah. And anything I thought was important, I would take off the teleprinter and take him and the captain. And they would review it. Wow. So um, as busy of a city as Houston is, it's like we stopped running that day. And um, the FBI, you know, we were thinking that chemical plants, that we were worried about that. And there was a, um, an FBI agent that was at the a chief's house. And he said, there's no way that's our biggest concern. He said, our biggest concern right now in Houston is the water, the water supply to the medical center. He said millions of people could get killed with very little effort with a water supply here. And so it just seemed like anything that I was thinking that day wasn't clicking to what really was going on. And, um, I, I had such a hard time with it too. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, you're just sitting there and you're watching it and they would show it over and over and it hurt just as bad the first time as it did the last time you saw it. So, um, in the city of Houston, we have what's called love phones that, uh, firemen pay for because we can't use the city fire phone. Right. And, um, I didn't have a cell phone back then. And I can remember they let us call our family and I call, I call my wife, you know, told her we, we was going to be, be tied up for the day. And it was just like, like everything stopped and everything mm -hmm. was in slow motion and, um, just sitting there. And I, and I just went over and over and over that we will never be the same. And then you were, then I start thinking about, you know, how, how is, how is New York city going to recover? Yeah. How is, how is the fire department going to hit reset 
and fix this. I mean, you mm. know, being a fireman, we fix things. Yeah. We, there's nothing we can't fix. And I can remember as a young kid fireman thinking, how do we fix this? And, um, you know, and, and like, like every anniversary date, you know, um, I will, I will always sit and just think about, you know, how sad it made me when it happened. And I think about it and, um, my wife and I went for the 10 year anniversary, went to New York to visit. Oh, wow. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's just unexplainable. Um, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine a firefighter in the Northeast. I mean, I am, you know, several thousand miles away and it ripped our department's heart out. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you. And that's why I'm kind of doing this, right? Because what, what happens is I, I had a front row seat that day, right? My, my home, yeah. literally, I pull out of my driveway. I go two miles down the road. I hop on the state highway that's by my house. And it's overlooking the skyline of New York City. I mean, that's how close I am. And, wow. and you talk about that helpless feeling, Mo. And I've, I talked about this yeah. with somebody, a couple other people now on, on, that's going to be on this program. I talked about how we were dispatched to go. They shut down the bridge. We couldn't get across the bridge. And we were defeated in the attempt to go help and serve. And we had to watch the towers burn from the back of the rescue truck open doors as we're returning to quarters. I cannot imagine. There was, there was this was sense of defeat. And, and it just, yeah. like, I until I really started analyzing and talking about this with some of the guests that will be on this episode... I never really put that into perspective until another another one of our guests said, you know, hey, we went there and there was nobody to help. And right. it, it it tore them apart. And, you know, yeah. it's just in the Northeast. And that's why I wanted to do this, because down in Houston, Texas, like, what was the impact? What did you feel? How, how did it affect it's you? Because here it tore all of our communities apart. Every community lost members in the community. Families lost fathers and mothers. Yeah. And then all the firefighters, like never oh. did we think that we would lose 343 firefighters yeah. in one shot. At one, at one blink of an eye. Yes. And, and you know what? Not only losing firefighters, losing the best of the world. Yeah. I mean, some of the best companies that has ever put a pair of quick hitches on and made a response. Yes was just destroyed and killed that day, murdered that day yeah, for no reason. Yeah. And so here, Texas is a very prideful place. Sure. Texas is 100% Texas, 100% American. And then you take being a fireman, 100% fireman, you're just ripped and you're, you're like a, you're like a, a puzzle that's just been ripped apart. Yes. And, um, you feel helpless. You're like, you want to help, but what do you do? Yeah. And then after that, um, our rescue companies, Texas task force, they started gathering up. Uh, they knew that they would probably go help. Uh, Houston fire department sent a lot of people to help. Uh, sadly, we lost captain Tortoris, uh, from lung cancer and they contributed to, to his time. 9-11 cancer. Uh, it, it sure was. Mm. And such a nice guy. And, um, you know, I, a friend of mine just just retired. Uh, Chief Cole just retired, and um, that was one of the things I always respected about him. I can remember as a young fireman, I seen a picture of him up there helping in his task force uniform, and I just thought, you know, so far away, the brotherhood just extends out, and we could we it's like we could feel the pain that they were going through, 
And then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, if it can happen there, it can happen here. Yes. And, um, and, and you know, still to this day, still to this, still to this day, when you think about it or you're around some of our friends and they start talking about that dreadful day, you're just like, it, it can happen again. Yeah. And, um, I mean, and you just think of the, as morbid as this sounds, you think about the legends that was taken from us and you think about what they could have done for our profession. And I think we have a great profession, Yeah. but just think if we could have had several more years with some of those guys, absolutely. You know, it's just, uh, you know, Ray Downing, I could just go on and Chief on. Chief Feehan, I mean, it just goes on yeah. and on. Yeah. 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 I mean, what what would have what would have happened to this great profession if we would have had those those guys leading some young kid like me um, in the future? Yeah. So, you know, that's when I think of when I think of that, first of all, I get mad. I can't believe anybody would do this for this great country. That's the innocence, yeah. man. Like you and I yeah. cut from the same cloth. Like never did I yeah. think that this would be that something like this could happen. And that's why it didn't resonate with me that day that yeah. this was terrorism. Like I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't get I, it. I didn't either, brother. Yeah. I didn't either. I can, I can still remember telling Herb and he was such a good partner. And I told him, I said, man, I think the computer. Yeah. Are down. Makes sense. Right. Yep. And he brought me back to reality and, then everything just changed. And on our way back, we were outside the city. On our way back in the city, it's just like nothing was said. Yeah. Nothing was said. Yep. It just you just you just know. Yep. So um yeah, and you know, um, you know, some of mine are your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really talk about it when they're around. Right. Um uh, I've heard a few stories because what what can you say to them? That's right. I mean, what what could what could you say? I mean, That's you want right. to hug them. And, you know, here it is 20 years later, and the hurt's still there. The loss is still there. And um, we, we, I mean, we've recovered well, but we'll never fully recover. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? The one, the one thing about the fire service, right? The resiliency, yeah. right? Yeah. You can, got, you can kick back. us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah, you kick us and you kick us hard. Yeah. And we come right back. I mean, you know, uh, could you imagine Chief Norman showing up? Exactly. And then they say, hey, brother, this is yours. You got to fix it. Yeah. And um, that's a pat on his back. Yes. Um, if if I can squirrel out on you for just a second. Yeah. There is no other profession in this world. I don't care who it is or what they do could have fixed that. No. Like a firefighter, a New York City firefighter, Chief John Norman fixed it. And um, I know he had a lot of help from a lot of other firemen, but no other profession would have been able to do it. You couldn't have let a politician do it. No. Um, it, it. Nobody in this world could have fixed that other than a fireman. Very well so. said, Chief. I want to ask yeah. you one last question before I let you yes, go. Sir. I don't want to hold you. Um, no, no, no. Is there something you do each year on September 11th? Is there? Do you just take a moment and, and say a prayer? Do you watch the programming? I do you... Yeah, I, I do. You know, um, I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, my uh, my mom is real, real faithful and pushed us to be that way. Yeah. So um, I usually get by myself, um, even if I'm at work, if I'm not on a run, and I give myself a little bit of time to reflect. And you know, just basically, um, I mean, in a, in, a, in a strange way, I just I just thank those guys for what they did. 
And, um, you know, whenever you, whenever you hear them tell firefighters to evacuate and they said, no, we still got victims. We're yeah. going up. So in the back of my mind and in my heart, I just say, man, what can you say? Thanks. You know, um, I, I am so honored that I'm just like a little dot in this great profession mm. because of, of people like that. I love it. Very yep. well said, chief. All right, brother. Mo Davis. Thank you, brother. It's thank, always so thank great you for letting me to be talk a small with you. Part of this, because oh. it means a lot to me. And yeah. I think the world of you, you know that. Thank you. And I appreciate everything about you and our friendship. And uh, we got to get together soon. It'd be good to see you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank be you, safe, brother. brother. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. My next call is somebody, again, very special to me. Chief Rich Thode, uh, retired departmental chief out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, now the chief in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, 40 years in the fire service, um, an unbelievable uh, uh, just person and uh, has become a dear friend of mine. Somebody, again, that I don't get to talk to enough. Um, and uh, and when I do, it's always just a, a memorable conversation and, and enjoyment when I'm with him. So let's get him on the phone right now. I want to give Rich uh, Chief Thode a call and uh, I want to hear his story. Good afternoon. Ah, so formal. Chief Thode, how are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Good. I am recording. You're already on the show, so there's uh, at least you didn't pick up and yell at me or anything. You know, call me any names. Never. I appreciate that. <laughs> Never. So a little bit of a project I wanted to do for September 11th. Um, I wanted okay. to kind of document just some stories of people that I truly respect and, and appreciate and who've been uh, important to me since we've started National Fire Radio. And of course, um, you know, you are one of those guys that are, are important to me. And um, I just think it would be interesting to hear your story. Nothing too crazy or long, but just a quick conversation about where you were that day um, and, and your memories of it. Um, so I was working my side job, which is at the time was working for an environmental contractor pulling oil tanks. Mm. And me, me and this other guy were in a dump truck with an excavator on a trailer. And the other guy was a Marine sergeant who had just gotten out of the Marines. He's since become a policeman. But, and we heard on the radio on the local station, Hey, we'll have more about that plane in New York city that hit the world trade center. So we were pulling up to the job. I said, let's listen on 880 on AM news radio. We yeah. switched over. And we sat in the truck for probably 40 minutes and listened 45 wow. minutes to an hour and listened to the whole thing, including the first tower collapse Wow! sitting in the truck. There's a knock on the window of the truck and a woman is in tears. And she said, are you guys listening to this? And we said, yeah. And she goes, can you come in and watch it? And we went in some house in a neighborhood really, and basically watched the second tower on the news with this random woman in her living room. Wow. Um, so then uh, we, we left, we went back to work, said, you know, we, we went back to the shop. I went to uh, work. I, I called the firehouse and I told you some of the old timers that worked in Bridgeport, but I called and said, you know, what are we doing? And they said, nothing. Yeah. You know, just sit tight. So the next day I went to work on the 12th, I went to work and the phone calls started coming in. You know, Chris Blackwell's missing. Dana Hannon's missing. Yep. Like all, all these guys that I knew. And I kept saying, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And they kept the bosses kept saying, we're not doing anything. We're not going. 
don't go. If you go, you're on your own. If you get hurt, we're going to fire you. Like all of this kind of stuff. Mm. And the more they said it, the more a group of us said, we have to go. Yeah. We just have to go. Right. So we got off work at four. That was on the afternoon of the 12th. We walked to the train station. We got on the train. Metro North had a car for firefighters only. So it was just like maybe 10 of us from Bridgeport. Yeah. We took the train down. We got out of the train. There were MTA cops. They're like, hey, firemen, just keep walking right up this pathway. We walked to 42nd Street. There was an MTA bus for firemen only. And it was still just only us. It wasn't any other guys. We got on the bus. We drove to the west side, down to west side drive. People are cheering and clapping. It was really bizarre. Yeah. You know, we're not FDNY. We're we're kind of intruding, but you just, you had to go. You yeah. had to be there. Right. So we went down, we went down to like, as far as Chelsea Pierce, we couldn't get down any further. We got off the bus and some guy says, you know, come with us. And I'm like, okay. And we walked out on a pier and it was all these police boats and they put us on a immigration and control the ice yeah they put us on an ice police boat you know like a 40 foot sure. real police boat yeah drove us out into the river and down and we pulled into the marina right there at battery you know where the little sailboats yep. Yep. are there absolutely by the arch. sure we pulled in there and that was the first time it really hit like where we were because all of the boats were covered in like two inches of dust. Yeah. When you were when uh, you were headed down south in the Hudson River, right? What tell me about what your your what were you were seeing, the process. I mean, how how hard I know how hard it was for me to process it all. How hard was it for you? Um, it, it was still really smoky. So yeah, there was, right. you know, it I wouldn't say it obscured it, but it was it was just surreal because, and you'll hear this from everybody. It was so beautiful out. The yeah. weather was gorgeous. Yes. I mean, I'm on a, on the Hudson river in a boat, like at five in the afternoon, it was gorgeous looking over at New Jersey. And then you just turn back and it's like, yeah, what is going on? It was so the weirder part was we get off the boat in the Marina and we walk into that glass atrium and we, come out on the other side and i don't know the names of those buildings but there's those like beige they're probably 40 or 50 stories right on that side and there's a piece of steel sticking out of like eight or nine stories of the building and we we went in the first floor but when we got to the side where the trade center was we had to climb out windows that were on the third floor onto the pile and it was pitch black wow and literally, when we went to the building, it was a gorgeous summer afternoon. And when we came out the other side of the building, it was like a time warp, like you walking. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And there was, you know, that by then people were writing in the dust. If anybody's seen this one, if anybody's seen that one, they were writing in the dust in the building. Yeah. And we stepped out and we were with uh, Billy Hogue, who is a retired, now a retired chief from our job. Tough old guy. And Billy said, all right, all you guys stay here. And he went and he found some FDNY chief. I don't even know who it was. And he said, look, son, I got I got 10 good guys from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they're ready to do whatever you need them to do. And the chief told him, all right, come here. And he, and he grabbed a captain. I don't know his name, but it was the captain of 105. And he said, 
take these guys and go. And the captain walked us over and I'll send you the picture if I want. I, mm. I don't have it up. It's, it's in my basement. I don't have it displayed, but he, he said, Hey, and we turned and he took a picture of us, the four of us on the pile and said, your grandkids will, I'm, now I'm getting choked up. Yeah. He said, your, your grandkids will never believe you were here. <laughs> so, and we just worked with 105 mm -hmm. digging all night, just doing what we had to do. And then in the morning, as the sun was coming up, it, it kind of, things were starting to get a little more organized. Yeah. And it was clear this was not going to be a rescue operation. And at that point, we all kind of started to feel like we were intruding. Mm. You know, like like we all felt the need we had to go. But then once we were there and we had been there for a while and FDNY was kind of, you know, getting their shit together, we were like, we don't need to be here. Yeah. So we started walking back to the train station. And here's another bizarre thing. Some guy in an army deuce and a half with an American flag flying off the back said, you guys need a ride? Wow. And we said, sure. So as the sun is coming up across Manhattan, we're in the back of an open army deuce and a half driving up Park Avenue, heading up towards Grand Central. Still with people cheering and waving and it just, it felt really strange. Yeah. And, uh, and we came back and yeah, it, it was, I don't regret going. I, I'm glad I went. Yeah. Um, I still, you know, I, I was always in the construction business. I still, every time I mix concrete and smell like, you know, powder concrete, you know, before you yep. start mixing it, of course, it bring, brings me right there. But uh, like I said, there was an overwhelming draw that we had to go there and then once we were there and kind of, for lack of a better term, did our shift. Yeah. We were like, not like, okay, we did it. Let's get out of here. It was like, we, we all had the feeling we have to go. Like this is, we're not. It makes sense. I don't say we're not welcome, but no. it wasn't. We weren't no. welcome. We're like, this is their gig, not ours. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, there was a lot of their own buried within. Um, and, and speaking of their own, um, I know Dana Hannon, who was a Bridgeport firefighter before transferring to the FDMY, who was a friend of mine. Um, he was, uh, yeah, you know, obviously yep. a brother a Jersey, of yours, you know, Jersey guy. Yeah, yep. of course. I mean, you know, and you guys and, have that picture he took, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so he was on a, he was going through, he was a rookie. I think he was either on 21 engine or 22. I can't remember. Probably 21. And he leaned out the window going down the West side drive with like a disposable camera and took a picture out the window of them responding to the towers. He was on, yeah, he was on 26 engine that day. Um, 26. That yeah. Was it, 26 yeah. engine. Um, and he was with Paul Tegmeyer, who is a, uh, another guy that I have a connection with from when I was a fireman in Poughkeepsie. Uh, he was from the fire district over. Um, and so just okay. kind of a strange turn of events. But um, Dana was local to us. He was a friend. I know he was, um, you know, he, he he was a sighted firefighter in Bridgeport. I mean, I think he had the heroism award for a grab in Bridgeport. Um, but he always wanted to be a New York City fireman. And uh, he did. And and uh, um, sometime on a more appropriate show, I'll tell you the story of the grab. Cause sure. I was, I'd, I was there. But, I'd really, um, I'd love, I'd love to hear that, but yes, thank you. And, Please keep that in mind. 
And then Chris Blackwell mm. on Rescue 3. Chris is a local up here. Okay. Uh, Chris was a volley in, uh, he lived over in Putt Lake, in Putnam Lake, and he was a volley in New Fairfield, and he was a medic in Danbury and worked all over, you know, a regional in a fly car and whatnot and worked all over here. Uh, and when I was still in Ridgefield, he was a contract medic there. So we worked together there. Matter of fact, the one and only time I ever did like a real buff ride along in FDNY <laughs> was when this was at 40, what 46 truck. Is that I right? And, and rode a tour on 46. Very cool. It's a good truck. It's a good truck. Well, so. chief, thank you. Um, you know, I'm just trying to capture some of these stories. Um, you know, everybody was going about their normal, innocent life that day and everything changed. Um, you know, a lot of the conversations I'm having with the guys that are, that are, um, you know, helping me with this show, um, are talking about how everything seemed, everything stopped, you know, the world stopped and this and that. And it's just, it's a powerful story because so many of the people that follow national fire radio are younger and did not really, you know, they, they don't know it well. They were children when it happened, you know, yeah. um, and so yeah. on. And so I think it's important that we preserve some of these stories. And it's just for me too, it's just understanding where, important people in my life were that day because I, I know my own story and I'm always interested in, in knowing everyone else's story. And so I appreciate that. I do want to ask you one other question though, that I'm asking everybody when I'm done, is there something you do each year, whether it's uh, you, you just take a moment, say a quick prayer, you look up to the sky, you watch the programming. Is there something you do that you find uh, every year, whether it's just a, a solemn, a solemn minute that you take or whatever, is there just something that stands out to you on the 11th every year that, uh, you do in remembrance or thinking about, you know, our fallen? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, being, especially now that I'm a chief, you know, we're, we're always doing events and whatnot. Uh, when I was in Bridgeport, I, I got very protective of the ceremony that we would do because mm. a lot of politicians would come and, yes. and I get it, but, but I, I really, I almost kind of got in trouble a few times because I was really trying to protect the dignity of what, we did yeah um and on a personal note uh the guy i was with mike you know we're, we've grown apart we're not really you know we're not buddies we don't see each other every day but we call each other every every year on mm. that day and just kind of you know uh to be honest with you i don't know that woman's name yeah sometimes i think i know where the house is and sometimes i think geez i should drive over there but I, I can't bring myself to do it. I, uh, I have not been to the museum. I can't bring myself to do it. Right. Uh, I went once to the, to the pit, you know, to the fountains, um, maybe three, four years ago, I could not bring myself to do it before then and have not since. Yeah. I get um, it. But I get it. So, so yeah, I, uh, like I said, Mike and I text or call every year, but that's, that's the extent of my uh, you shared you shared a moment in time that uh, will forever yeah. change time so that makes sense yep. for sure chief thode thank you rich i appreciate you brother i always do it's always nice to you know just to chat with you and, and catch up but uh, thanks for doing this i appreciate you very much no thank thank you jeremy and, and keep up the good work it's it's important work it's it's important to remember it's important to i don't want to say celebrate but you know not only the guys that we lost, but, but, but the job and, mm -hmm. and, and this country and this country. For sure. Hey man, God bless America. Thank you, chief. I appreciate you, brother. Take care. I'll talk to you Take soon. Care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
So my next guest, he's already on. I'm not having to call him. I don't have to dial the phone. I'm already talking with him. And I said, Rob, I really want to know where you were that day. Rob Ridley, my partner in crime, has had a lot going on. New training, new probies. So you've been uh, kind of MIA a little bit. A lot of people have been asking about you, but you got some things that you're going to be coming back with on NFR as your training slows down in the in the new position as a Kyle Capitan slows down yes. for you. Um, but man, it's good to get you on a recorded call and not just me and you talking on the back end of things. Right, right. hundred oh, percent, man. <laughs> so listen, um, this project I'm doing for the, for the September 11th podcast is just capturing some stories of people that I love and trust and, and believe in, and you're a very important person to me. And I'm, I'm curious what your story is and, and all these years of doing these with you. I don't think I know your September 11th story. Um, so please, would you mind sharing? Yeah. Um, so uh, September 11th, 2001, I was a uh, college student in the paramedic program at Dutchess Community College um, up in Poughkeepsie, New York. I had finished an English class and uh, the professor and I were actually walking out because he was an aviation geek and I was like big in airplanes in high school. Like I just loved airplane history. And we saw a plane in the sky and it was odd. And we were like, this is not, this is not normal air traffic for, for what we have in, you know, the Poughkeepsie area with Newburgh, uh, Stewart airport and everything else. But we brushed it off and it was such a fucking beautiful day. And I got a coffee from the cafeteria and went to my A&P class. And as we got up to the second floor, um, this EMT that I worked with, he had an alphanumeric pager. Yeah. And he got this buff page. Um, it's like BNN or something like that. You know, there's some kind of subscription service you could belong to back then. And uh, he said, wow, it's an airplane hit the World Trade Center. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah. And so we're all like, you know, single engine plane or like maybe, yeah, a, right. you know, kind of thing. And he's like, oh, they just went to third, three alarms. And I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, I mean, it's up there probably. Like, safety and why and um we went to a and p class and everybody's pagers started to go off and i was the only uh not cool kid who didn't have one of these pagers yet um but uh somebody said you know like that you know they were going like kind of just whispering off the alarm assignments like oh it's you know fifth alarm or whatever and i was like oh that's pretty big like you know it must be it must have a fire and then I think it was the second plane. So you hadn't seen anything yet. You were just hearing secondhand through through pages and so on, but you're not yeah. watching the TV. You're not watching this live no, no, like no. so yeah, many. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to learn anatomy and physiology, and, <laughs> I, and I'm extremely distracted by all this information because I was like, this is, sounds like a pretty big fire. Um, and then when they said something about a second plane, our – our professor, uh, Dr. Fowler, she stopped and she, she tilted her head to the side and, and she was a smart woman. And she said, I'm sorry, did you guys say a second plane hit? And the guy said, yeah, like it just said a, a, a like full commercial airliner or whatever the, you know, he read the, the page off to us. And she said, we need more information. Let's go upstairs. And we went and left our class and went up to one of the labs that had a television and you could see the look in everybody's face that something was really wrong. Yeah. And we, we saw the twin towers just burning 
and it was like I, I don't remember ever being so um speechless before mm. and looking around to the other paramedic students who all were volunteer firefighters and EMTs and we were working commercially EMS and like every one of us was kind of running through the scenario in our head of like what this really meant like how like just trying to make sense of it all and uh, one of the guys is like you know jet fuel burns at this temperature and that's a steel building that's not going to go go well and we were just kind of like you know it, it i don't want to say hit us but like this time froze still with this information and it was like the fastest time went but it was the slowest um and then when the pentagon got hit we all immediately left um, and like, it was like, just, a like Dr. Fowler said, like we were dismissed and, um, we tried to walk calmly to our, um, cars. And there was a, another student that was in class with me, Janine, she had kids and she pulled out her cell phone and like, she'd been a, like, she's just like a, you know, a strong woman. Like, like she was somebody who didn't take shit from anybody. She was from the city and she called her husband to get her kids out of school and like that tremble in her voice uh irked me <laughs> like that's a, uh, like a, a shiver down my spine that something yeah. was really wrong yeah. and like watching everybody try to walk to their cars but like kind of pick up the pace um and just like it was quiet nobody was talking except for people who had cell phones that were calling about wherever their family members were and I think it was John Radigan was the uh, kid's name. And I kind of, he's a volunteer in Fairview and uh, EMT with me at, at Sloper Willen. And I said, are you going to the station? He's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go home. And I got in my car and uh, my my cousin, Jimmy, I, I I don't know why I did this, but I had this, like this fear was coming over me, but it, like, and I was scared. I, I remember just being like like looking to the sky and being like what's next um but i also wanted to go i wanted to go see my cousin because i didn't know what was going to be next so i drove down to home depot where he worked and walked in and he's like did you hear about this this is crazy and i was like yeah and like you know this like i just said jimmy i don't know what's going on but like i love you and i just wanted to come see you quick before i left and he said, are you going down there? It's like, I don't know where I'm going, but like, and I don't know what's next, but like, I, I've got to, I feel like I got to go to work. And I hugged him and uh, went home to my grandmother's house because I was staying with my grandmother at the time. And it was just like, you know, the TV was on and saw the the bad news. And I think at this point that, you know, the one tower had collapsed and I got dressed and my, my, my grandmother was like, she was a very religious woman. She had a, a mouth like a trucker, but like believed in God. Yeah. Um, and I've never seen her pray like that before. And she had a Bible in one hand and a rosary in the other. And like, she, she grabbed me, like hugged me and like prayed for me quick. And that was just very, a very powerful moment. And then my uncle, Jimmy, who was a, I mean, this guy was a nut. Like, you know, he's just a, a former, he's a Marine. He drank a lot. He uh, was a millwright and he's like, he set houses. Like, so he was like a rough and tough, like contractor, sure. like, builder guy, you know? And like, Uncle Jimmy didn't take shit from anybody and he didn't let me get away with anything. 
and I remember the bear hug he gave and like he looked afraid. Yeah. And I just said like, what is going on that? How old guy, are you? I'm 19. Yeah. So I, I put my uniform on and I called the station and they're like, don't come here. And I was like, what? And they're like, do not come in. Like we are swimming. We don't have, we don't have ambulances for people. We're sending units to Westchester. Um, at least that's the plan, but like, don't come in. Cause there's literally like, we can't put you on a truck because there's no trucks because everybody, you know, had, had kind of come in and I was in between volunteering at the time. So like my volunteer fire department was still in Sullivan County. I was applying to be a, you know, part of Croft Corners fire company. And my, my, my girlfriend at the time had called me and she was like, she just in, in tears. And I went over to see her. Um, and I was still going to just go to the station anyway. And I, you know, at this point, I think, you know, the, the, their tower had collapsed and we're looking at this on the television and uh, like the pass alarms. I remember hearing pass alarms in the news and thinking about like how you get in trouble in fire one, if you your pass alarm went off, so you had to do the OSHA shuffle, you know, and like that, I, I, you know, and I, and, like I just kind of like started to key in on what that really meant because there was just, it, it seemed like there were so many of them. Um, and anybody who was down there that was doing live coverage and, you know, like it was just a um, kind of a, kind of a surreal moment. Yeah. Um, and then to, you know, find out about the plane in Pennsylvania and that's, that's when, like when it all, like, you know, at, at some point putting all the pieces together and realizing on the larger scale what was going on. And then, uh, you know, and then I, they also like the phones, they didn't, the phones didn't go down, but it was one of the few times in my life that I went to dial a number Yes. Um, to Sloper, like, the, you know, the local number to Sloper and it said all circuits are busy. <laughs> and I was like, what the? F yeah, it was, it was, what? it was a really interesting time with, uh, I remember we had Nextel's. And, um, yep. you know, we would, it was that push to talk, bleep, bleep, you know, push to talk. Yep. And it's like a walkie talkie. A lot of people probably don't even know what they were, but, um, yeah. And, and that's how I got the first heads up when a guy put an alert out to like our group on the next tell and, and it went like beep, beep. And then like playing at the, you know, uh, trade center. And that's how I found out about it. And I was like, oh my God. And then my, my story goes from there, but um, you know, communications that day was, um, nothing what it is today. I mean, we had cell phones, we still had pagers, um, and people were having a hard time communicating with one another, um, because the systems went down, the systems failed. I think the world trade center was one of the largest broadcasting towers at the time for communication networks on the, you know, in, in our area. And, um, and when that fell, uh, communications was, was destroyed in a way. Um, it was very hard to communicate with people. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's why when you look at what was transpiring, uh, the, the, that day, the days after people looking for their loved ones, obviously they're looking for, but the, the, the communications were so bad at the time. There's no, it was one thing that they couldn't get in touch, you know, maybe because they had perished. But the other one too was there was a lot of walking wounded, a lot of people that, um, you know, were stranded. A lot of people had to find creative ways to find refuge and, and help. And, 
you know, and when your cell phone's not working. Um, and I think cell phones were not new, but newer, I would say, in 2001. So it wasn't what it is today. I mean, you yeah, know. I know. Like, I, and jokingly, we, you know, I think people my age and I'm say, like, hey, we're the generation that had to figure out technology as it came out. Because I didn't necessarily, I didn't have a cell phone in high school, and that was a rarity. But upon graduate, like when I graduated, um, like Cell One was the company back then, and like I got this small like Nokia cell yeah. phone that you could play Snake on. Yeah. And like you had to make like I always checked with my <clears> parents because <throat> I would tell them I was like I'm gonna call you after nine o'clock because that's when the calling's free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I mean, I I get that. I I know too. Like if you think about it. You know, cell phones weren't what they were because we don't have, I mean, how many people today would have been standing there just taking videos with their phones? I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the coverage would have been overwhelming if people had, you know, what we have today, iPhones and, and you know, Androids that take incredible video and everybody's taking a video. You know, I mean, there's a fire. You got 37 people across the street taking pictures. You got Citizen app that people use all the time. New York City firemen use Citizen app on the way to calls so they can get a good size up because it's real time reporting, you know? So yeah. like it was a different time and it was only 22 years ago, but such a different time and uh, and so on. Yeah. I think the other thing too, there was um, all my life, you're, you know, that, that there was that much of it at that point, but like as a kid remembering, you know, learning about JFK and the assassination and my mom and my grandmother and all these adults around me being like, I remember this day and my grandmother telling me about Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And like there was a, there was an awareness because I, I remember at one point getting into the car and saying, like, I wonder if this is going to be a Pearl Harbor moment because I don't think I'm ever going to forget this day. Yep. And at the same time, like, you know, Molly and I, my wife were talking about this the other day, and I said, oh, I'm going to do 15 minutes with Jeremy on the phone. And this, it was, it was a very, I'm not trying to describe it, but like an, so the, September 11th is a tragedy, and every every year around this time, I get, you know, just sad about thinking about, you know, the day and, and the loss and everything that changed and how it affected our lives in, in the tri-state area. But it, it um, a couple of years after September 11th, I ended up losing my cousin Jimmy, who I went down to see at Home Depot. Yeah. Um, he had a heart attack. He had a seizure history. When he was a kid, he had a stroke, so he uh, – the one side of his body was paralyzed, but he like, he made it work and he was just such a good guy. He was like, he was, he was a brother to me. And I have all these memories of Jimmy and I'm not like, I, I don't know how to say this the right way. So I'll probably say it wrong, but in some ways I was thankful for September 11th because this person who I cared about and loved about, uh, loved so much, um, that was family. Like it is my clearest recollection of him. And if I close my eyes, on the days where I miss them or anniversaries, I can picture them that day and I can, I can see his face. And when I told him that I was going to be going somewhere, I just didn't know where, like he smiled because he, he was a big supporter of me in the, in the fire department. And like, I don't want to, like I said, I don't know if it's a positive, but like I can, I, I'm at least thankful that out of that whole tragic day that I have this memory of my, my one family member, because sometimes I think that stuff kind of, you know, it fades away. Like you, of course, that, that particular day, I can instantly recall. 
you know, I close my eyes. I feel like I can recall these flashes of those scenes and I can see them in such vivid detail. Yeah. So I think, <clears throat> I think things like this provide clarity on a lot of things. Um, you know, you think about <clears throat> as horrible as the day as it was, and there's, there's no getting away from that. You know, there, there's always some type of upside for someone somewhere. And, and I mean that with the most respect. And I mean that by saying like, it might've brought loved ones back together. It could have repaired a marriage. It could have uh, created a bond between parents and, and, and children that had separated over years for, for something that, you know, uh, created fallout within a family. I mean, it, there, there's a tremendous amount of love and, and compassion and, um, a sense of clarity that comes over people when tragedy strikes like this. And, you know, you, you wonder, yeah, I mean, Rob, it makes perfect, it makes perfect sense that you shared a moment with somebody that was very special to you. And it was on a day that you can remember every step of your day. And that just makes sense. I mean, so yeah, cherish that memory for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think like you said, you know, in some ways it, I feel like it repaired a nation because that's, that's the one other thing that I really hold on to is I, I remember our patriotism came back and I, well, I shouldn't even say that. I think our patriotism is always there. I think it's, it's under the surface, you know, in this country. And like, we, we see it with the, with the flags and people who's, you know, who are obviously like America and we're like, we're proud of being Americans, but like on that day, like it got awakened and there was a great leadership and you know, that, that on its own was something that I'll always remember. It it felt, you know, it's funny that one of the common themes throughout doing this project, um, I think you're like the ninth or tenth person I've now talked to about this um, for this episode. And um, a lot of the a lot of us talked about how everything stopped and, and it seemed like everything shut down and people came together and and so on. And, and I talked about um, I forget with who, but I, I talked about how we turned a blind eye to everything else. Nothing else mattered. I think crime stopped. I think pettiness stopped. I think, um, I think that people didn't see color, didn't see religion, didn't see faith. They didn't see any of it. They just saw people, people in a in a in a uh, society that was under attack, and we we bonded together to get through this. And the the days, weeks, and months that followed the unbelievable sense of pride about being an American and how proud we are. We've polarized ourselves over the years and we've gotten back to a place and probably even worse than we were prior to nine, you know, to September 11th. Um, and, and, it, and we have to get back. We have to recenter and, and bring back some of that, you know, American pride and patriotism that is required. And, um, you know, and, and however that looks, I don't know, but, you know, that was a time that everyone put their own problems and issues aside because there was something greater and bigger that needed our attention. And, uh, and I, I feel that we, we need to kind of refocus on the whole and not on the individual that we've become. Right. Because that's, that's really where, you know, like I said, I, the, the positive for me or the, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the bright side, but like people helping people because it was the right thing to do. There was no, I don't think there was, a, like you said, a, a sense of self. It was like, we're going to get through this. Like so many, so many stories of somebody grabbing somebody by the arm and saying, come on, let's go. Or 
people picking, you know, citizens in the towers picking somebody up who was disabled that couldn't make the stairs and carrying them down. Countless like, stories. Countless. You know? So. Countless stories of your everyday civilians stepping up and doing what's needed for the sense of humanity. I mean, it just... And firefighters included, and police, Port yeah. Authority, the NYPD, New York City EMS, you know, the New York City Fire Department, the Fire Patrol, like you... You know, there, there's so much there, and it's it it's all done in the name of humanity. I mean, we all yes. came together that day in tragedy, and um and you know, I, there's just something about that when when that happens, man, it's powerful, and it's a moment that none of us will ever forget, and that's why telling our stories 22 years later. Um, for me, this has been, man, I, this has not been easy. It's kind of ripped the wound open for me several times. Um, and, and I, my story's not half as what, you know, many, you know, many had. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just appreciate you taking a few minutes and sharing the story with me. I didn't know that. And, um, I also, I also really appreciate it because you shared something that was important to you with, with your cousin, Jimmy. Um, and that, I know how important he was. And when he passed, um, I know how, you know, devastated you were with that and, um, and so on. But, uh, yeah, man, thank you for sharing your story today. I appreciate you. No, thank you for having me on as always, brother. So, Oh, please. This is your platform. You can be on whenever you want. You just have to dial in and hit go and you're in. <laughs> so, well, listen, go enjoy your day. I know you got a lot planned today and we squeeze this in, but, uh, looking forward to hearing what you got coming out for national fire radio too, pal. I'm excited for you. Me too, man. It's going to be awesome stuff. So we'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Thanks for being Later. a part of this. Bye. No problem. Bye. You. I'm recording. Just so you know, it's already live. Well, hello. Well, hello. My man, I'm doing this podcast on September 11th. I'm trying to get some stories out of people that I love and trust and admire. Um, I don't know your September 11th story. You, like me, are a New Jersey guy. You were uh, a front row seat and witness to it all. Um, just curious where you were that day and, and, um, and a little bit about your backstory on September 11th of 2001. Yeah, man. Well, I, I appreciate you in, including me in this because, uh, you know, it's definitely a day none of us will ever forget. And especially us folks that are from this area and that, uh, participated in the response or just anything in this area just always kind of sets it apart, uh, from anywhere else because of what happened. Um, yeah. So thank you for including well, me. Of course, but, man. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so that day, um, I was at the time working career EMS. I worked night shift in our dispatch center, um, but I was also cross-trained to, to work on the road because that's where I started. Um, so I had worked the night before, so the shift uh, of the 10th into the 11th. So I worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Um, probably no surprise to you, but at that time, uh, I would leave my shift at 7 a.m. and go right to the gym and work out for a morning workout. Um, and so I did that. I was at the gym for about like an hour or so, a little over an hour, whatever my time was. I went home. Um, I was living in an apartment with a couple guys, one of whom was a, a volunteer firefighter with me. Um, and I went to bed and I don't think, you know, I just passed out, you know, from working out and working all night. And he came like running into my room and was like, dude, a plane just crashed into one of the world trade center buildings. Um, and I'm like, in the sleep days, you know, and I get up and I go watch it on t TV and I'm immediately like, holy cow, yeah, like, what's going on? You know, that like, hey, I just woke up type thing, but just that shock. And I'm like, shit, I, I got to call work. So I called into work 
Um, cause I, I was only, I mean, I was like a quarter mile from our station. Um, and they were like, come right in now. They already called for us. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like running around my little room in our apartment, getting like any spare, anything that I had. Like if I had a length of rope, if I had carabiners, I had my own helmet at the time, like throwing it in a bag with my roommate chasing me around going like, you're actually going in and you're going. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. Um, so I went in, by the time I got there, our first wave of folks that were on duty had already left. Um, so I was helping out on the dispatch desk. I was, uh, running around fueling some more rigs up for us because, you know, by that point, the, the towers had collapsed. Yeah. Um, and we watched that one happen, you know, and, and our folks that went in that first wave were calling in and saying like, look, we're on a ferry. They put our ambulance on a ferry and we're going to Manhattan, um, type things. Um, and it was just crazy. And then at about, I guess maybe like 11 a.m., you know, the time framing is, it's like anything else, you know, and especially over time, but somewhere around then, um, one of our main coordinator, you know, like big bosses came into dispatch and was like, come on, um, you're coming with me and a nurse. So it was, a, I was the EMT, he was a medic and we had a nurse with us. And he's like, we're going to New York. I'm like, all right, here we go. So it was really crazy, you know, driving in the ambulance on the turnpike and just no cars. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, and, and, and like nobody was just emergency vehicles. Some of you were passing because fire apparatus was driving slower than the ambulance. And then police vehicles were just whizzing by us. Um, and we started our journey kind of in uh, Giant Stadium was a huge staging area. Yes. Like. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if that's where you ended up. But no, like, we I, were I in we were in Fort Lee, which is for people that don't know, uh, Fort Lee is the Jersey side of the George Washington Bridge. Um, and so when we got to the bridge with our rescue truck, um, they actually the Port Authority police who patrol the crossings and so on between both states stopped everyone from crossing because of the bomb threats against all the bridges and tunnels. People don't understand. But this there was a much more bigger, sinister thing at play here. Um, probably by opportunists and not part of the actual plot of 9-11, but there were bomb threats, a tremendous amount of, um, you know, uh, just uh, overall threat of, of, of terrorism uh, across the board. And um, so they actually shut down the bridge and would not allow traffic across. And we literally just missed getting across in that initial phase. So. Yeah. And that, that's like emergency vehicle traffic. Like yeah. They yeah. They shut it down. You had, someone with you who was an actor ready to do something. Um, Cause we got searched. Um, so, you know, and just when you said that about stopping the traffic on the bridge and it, it totally, it, it, like whenever I talk about this, like it just brings you back to that day. And like, do you remember yeah. the jets? Yes. Like the soup, like the military. I had Terry was, Terry was balling. Terry was balling her eyes out. And the, the little kids, Michael and Kendra now are my, my big kids. They were huddled under the table, like in in fear. Um, yeah, it, like it was shaking you. Yeah, when they were so low. Like yeah. it was like being at an air show. They were so low, except it was effing for real that day. Or yeah, I. Who knows what it was going to be? Something else you said too, Pip. You said when you were going down the turnpike, um, and the only there were no vehicles. It's literally like time stood still when yeah. that happened, right? I mean, people. You have to put it in perspective, like where where we are. You're south of me, so you don't you can't see New York City. Um, you're an hour south of, of or 45 minutes, 50 minutes south of New York City where you live. 
but where you were coming north and so on, you have a real good view of the New York City skyline as you come up the New Jersey Turnpike. And so, and then where I live, I can see the skyline every single day of my life. So that smoke column on that blue against that blue sky uh, was just uh, uh, just stood out, and it was wind. It was windy, so well, not windy, but it was there was a steady breeze, and it was like it was ta- hang- the smoke like, like tapered off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and and it was the buildings that were standing that you could normally see were covered in it. Yeah, um, as we were driving north, you know, so so it was. It was real by that point. And, you know, and too, before I left, I called my sister and my parents and I was like, hey, I'm on my way to New York. I'll get in touch with you. Don't worry about me. Like, no cell phone. Cell phone service was basically nil. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, And even landlines were down at that for a while, too, if you remember that end of it. Like, we we lost some land. It was just so surreal. So, so we get to to, to Giant Stadium, which is now MetLife Stadium for anyone keeping score, but it was Giant Stadium, I think, then at the time still. Um, and the parking lot was just mobbed with emergency responders. Like, you know, there was like, you know, in, in Q5 was all the cops and in P9 was all rescue trucks. And um, the bigger supervisor that I was with, you know, went to the command post and he knew whoever was doing whatever there. And he was like, you know, what do you got? And he's like, I got an EMT and a nurse with me. And he's like, all right, you guys are going to be the command staff being you have one of each for it was like i don't know 40 ambulances three rescue trucks um that's that are gonna go stage over in like liberty state park type area hoboken you know right across and you guys the plan is to get you on ferries with your vehicles to go over to manhattan um because like you said they stopped everybody so there were initial searches done uh there at giant stadium and then they rallied up everybody that they had ready to go in this task force with us. And legit, it was like, I don't know, three trooper cars and we were the lead ambulance. Um, and so we drove over to the park and we got searched. Everybody got searched on their way in. Um, so while all the other rigs were coming in behind us, we were kind of setting up with the command staff that was there. Um, and there were helicopters on the ground. There was ferries lining up. Um, there was just all kinds of things happening and unprecedented, was, unprecedented things. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. It's just, it, there's scenes in like, you know, and I think, I mean, I kind of said this, but like, I can't remember it all, but I remember flashes. I remember seeing people I knew at giant stadium and they were staying, but I was leaving and then like hugging us when we were leaving and then like flashes of being at the park, but we were right across the river just watching and smelling and like I'm not gonna say I was feeling the heat from the flames over there but like you could taste it you know like when you taste that fire type smell and you're just standing there and now it's like hurry up and wait and that's kind of the mode we stayed in that whole time and then orders started coming down to like everyone had to lock all their vehicles and you had to leave a driver in your vehicle then we went around, we had runners and I was one of the runners for the, the command staff of like collecting everyone's IDs before we could go across. Um, and then, like I said about lock your vehicles and then it was getting into like dinner time. And then it was like people, somehow this truck got in with people giving out sandwiches and that turned into like a fiasco of like, don't eat the sandwiches. They may be poisoned and like, 
just again unprecedented right uh, like when uh, when are you ever going to think that's going to happen a heightened alert that we never had before a vigilance that didn't exist prior to that day right i mean if if you think if you think about it you know i mean you and i we've been doing this for quite a long time now nothing has prepared us for anything like September 11th did, you know, um, leading up to that. Yeah. And, and it's, and it, it it became a different world that day in response to domestic terrorism as well as foreign terrorism. And you know, that the world trade center had been attacked before we've had terrorism before in the country, but nothing on a scale like this and nothing with, with a foreign threat where it was such devastation and destruction. Now, obviously, the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center could have been a lot worse if, if you know, if things For sure. went in that direction, but they didn't and, and so on. But, I mean, that was still a tragic day. And you have Oklahoma City that was a domestic terrorism bombing, right? We, we've had incidents like this, but nothing on such a grand scale and nothing on uh, the, the symbolism of capitalism and the United States and the freedom that we all have and, and on our soil. And I'll tell you, man, I, I, it rocked us and it created a new nation that day that we've become and being a firefighter and, and so on. I mean, we, we have certainly been directly in line to feel the change since then. Right. I mean, you think about the type of training we go through today, the equipment that's available to us, the mobilization that never had been mobilized like that before. I mean, that day was such a cluster, not to anyone's fault. It's just nothing's ever been done on that scale before, right? Um, we, we, we sent people home with like the orders that were kind of come, and who knows where these orders were even coming from, right? It was one of those things. Yeah. But like, if you didn't have your EMT card and your license, we sent you home. And you know, New Jersey with different rules, Bali's don't have to have their EMT cards in their pocket. Again, people were run, they were running out of whatever, you know, but no, you had to go home. Like, okay, your ambulance is out of play. Bring us another one because we're not going to let you go across for security concerns. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just those things. And, and I, I think about it now where I'm like, even today, and I know what happened. I never thought a high rise would fall like that. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And, and I watched it. Not only did it happen. I didn't watch it with my eyes. I watched it on TV like most of us did, but like we watched it, you know, when that happened and you just thought like, holy shit, this, this is real. Like, and that was it. And being right there, it was so real, Jeremy, like being across from there and seeing it. And again, this like, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And then, I don't know, I guess it was like 10 o'clock or so, you know, the order came down that we're not going, you know, demobilize. That's what it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're not going like there's people over there that need our help. But then it also kind of hit us all in the wave that there was nobody left to help. Yeah. You know, like there was, don't get me wrong. They, they, they were getting people out, but there was no need for 50 ambulances and three more rescue trucks because there weren't, you know, hundreds of people in need of care at that moment. And the ride home was actually worse than the ride there. I brother, I I know that we, we drove. Yeah. I mean, looking out the back door of our walk-in, our rear walk-in rescue truck, heading back home, not being able to get to the city on the, on that first initial response. And we're, as we're climbing the hill of the highway, going back towards our municipality with the skyline, we're all looking out the back 
bifold door on the back of the rescue in absolute defeat that we weren't able to get there. We weren't able to do anything. And man, I'll tell you that was hard. That was hard to, to be able to turn our back and to have to walk away. And a lot of that had to do with two pip. um, The fact that as the clock ticked on that day, mobilization became much more organized Um, and you know, it really was in the beginning, it was throwing every single resource you could find at it. And then whatever stuck stuck and whatever didn't, we'll, we'll then mitigate that and do it correctly. And that's by the, by the time the clock ticked on that night, the, the night of September 11th, um, you know, that's when they really got a lot of the mobilization together and putting together task forces and, and everything else. But just a, an incredible day that sticks with me and i i don't i don't like um do you watch the 9-11 programs that are on like this week they'll be on like all weekend they'll be on do you watch them nope Uh, i I, i'm not gonna say that i haven't watched them yeah i definitely don't watch them around now i only went so i still haven't been to the museum yeah i haven't either um i only went to the reflecting pools due to so i only went back to the site here i can i can go a little further and i want to go back to to my demobilization from that night but um i've i went back to the site because i ran tunnel to the towers but there was really nothing down there um i went to the site again when i did a go rock with some 555 folks uh, but did not go to the reflecting pools that day i only went to the reflecting pools uh to do a 555 check presentation was the first time I was there. And Tracy and I brought the boys maybe two summers ago, we went there with them. Yeah. Um, but I still haven't done the museum. Okay. And, and I want to, and I want to bring the boys, but we're all ready for it. We just haven't done it yet. I get it. Is that an easy way to put it? Like, yeah, yeah, no, it. I, I, I get it, it, man. I have such mixed emotions over it. Um, and and I'm going to, I'm gonna when I start this podcast, right now I'm, in full uh, disclosure, I'm, I'm interviewing each, not interviewing, but just having conversations with the people that I wanted to hear their stories from. Uh, and and after I do all these recordings, we're going to put them together for one episode, but I'm going to start off with my story and my feelings about the day and, and the days after and, and even 22 years later, um, how important this day is to me and, and what I think we should be doing about it and so on. But um Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story with me. Um, I know you. Oh, can, yeah, I want to wait. wait I yeah, go ahead. Credit real quick, though, yeah, I want to wrap again, it though, because like, yeah, I know. But the the story the story goes on a little bit too, where like you know when we came back that night, um, you know, to the credit of my hospital based EMS organization, um, they any one of our employees that went over like that was operating at the site, they all had to go to the ER that night for evaluation. Mm. Um, which I thought was really forward thinking on someone's part in the management scheme um, to look out for those folks. Yeah. Um, and, and we've been fortunate to this point that none of those folks have developed any type of, um, of, a, of the multiple diseases that occurred from folks that were there. Um, but, you know, I thought that was really forward thinking. They actually got decon in the decon room, um, which again, forward thinking on their part. Yeah. Um, you know, that night I lived in a college house, college apartment building, you know, I finally came home and like, it was like all my neighbors were outside because they knew that I was gone, you know, the folks that I was friendly with. And there was lots of hugs, lots of tears. Obviously, I'd already spoke to my family and things. And then it was like, we had a little local pub 
and I don't know, it was like 1230 or so, 12, whatever time it was, who knows. But we walked over there and I knew the owner and it was really quiet in there. And this place only had one TV. And obviously that was the only thing on TV. Yeah. And I had, uh, I don't know, however many cocktails I did rapidly there, but even the owner was like, guys, I know why you're here, but he's like, I got to go home. Like, I can't be here anymore. As much as I want to be here for you guys, I personally need to go home. Um, which was probably the right call yeah. then yeah. Um, for everyone. But then those days after, dude, we, we, we sent ambulances all the way up to December into the city, Yes, you know, which are things I don't think people understand either. Yes. And I had so many opportunities, Jeremy, to go because of my seniority at the time and things. And I never went back. Mm. I couldn't bring myself because at that time, what I didn't really understand was I was still feeling like a failure for not helping anybody that day. Like yeah. for, like almost like imposter syndrome, right? Because think of all the guys that, that lost their lives that day. And, and, you know, knowing a few of the folks that lost their lives, like I just never went back. And yeah. it was, it was a hard time. Like, and, and just the time here. And, and I know you want to wrap it, but one last thing too, if you want to hear an amazing song about the recovery from 9-11, uh, Shillelagh Law, Christmas in New York. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. The YouTube videos are really powerful, but great local band that really, summed up you know that getting over and moving forward that we all needed to do so from in this area so check that one out she'll let me a little, oh, well. little shameless plug cool thank you brother i appreciate no you worries, man. all right good thank you um like i like i've been saying to everybody it's just uh i just wanted to familiarize myself with your story because my story matters to me uh and your story matters to me so thanks for sharing man i appreciate you appreciate you dude all all right, talk to you later man yep. be safe yep so my next guest on this September 11th special episode is uh, retired Chief Aaron Heller. Aaron's been a friend of mine. He's another New Jersey guy. Um, I know he was involved in September 11th in many different ways. Um, he's going to come on and share his story, um, and I'm excited to uh, hear it as well, um, and, uh, and so on. So a friend of mine, Aaron Heller from On Scene Training and retired chief out of Hamilton Township, New Jersey. Let's give him a call. Hello. Chief. Hey, man. How are you? It's been way too long. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. That is, uh, that's the problem these days. I'm, uh, I'm finding I'm saying that a lot to people, you know. Um, it's just been way too long. It always happens. But uh, I know you're also one of those souls that when I do talk, it's like we catch right up and move forward. So how are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing really well. No complaints at all. You Enjoying know, the beach life, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoyed the summer. <laughs> Took a few weeks and just kind of hung out. That's and, what uh, retirement is, man. That's what you're supposed to be doing, no? That's what they tell me, but I can tell you, man, I, I've scheduled uh, this fall so tightly Good. that uh, it's going to be grinding hard. we got a lot of work ahead of us, so I'm, I'm stoked. But it, I needed that little mental uh, break. And, we all do. I get it. So listen. Yeah, go ahead. The best part about retirement, Jeremy, is yeah. you can still work your ass off, but you decide when you want to work your ass off. Ah, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. I'm looking forward to that day. I feel like that's not in sight anytime soon, though. <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah, I hope so. I truly do because I enjoy the I enjoy the uh, the relaxation in life. But I do love the grind too. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. hey, thank you for joining me, real quick. Um, what I'm trying to do is document stories of people that I respect and, and trust and have gotten to know 
through the National Fire Radio platform. And, um, you know, you and I have had, we actually have kind of a long history together, um, you know, now more so than it, it ever was. But uh, we share um, we share some commonality. Um, and one of them is a connection that we both have to September 11th, which was a, a, a dear, dear friend of yours and a friend of mine, uh, Dana Hannon. And um, his name came up before in another segment I did with Rich Thode, who was the chief of Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, and yep. then uh, now he's the chief in Danbury. But um, what, I, what I'm trying to do is for, you know, a nice 10, 15-minute conversation, I'm just trying to capture where people that I respect and, uh, and that I'm, uh, you know, uh, interested in to, to learn your story about where you were that day um, and, um, and, and then what transpired from there. So, I mean, I appreciate you taking a few minutes with me. Would you mind sharing your story? No, not at all. Please. Not at all. So, like, like you said, Dana, Dana was a, a, a dear friend, and and uh, his picture still hangs on the wall in my office. I'm yeah. actually looking at. I'm actually looking at it now. Perfect. Uh, you know, his memorial wristband that we all wore for years. Mine was worn out so bad that I was afraid I'd break it, so I took it off and put it on my shelf with a lot of other really cool keepsakes. Yeah. You know? So it's it's there with a bunch of my tins and a bunch of other stuff. I so. got it. Yeah, but um, so so my 9-11 story is, is far less dramatic than some people's, um, but uh, I was still, I was on the job. I had, uh, I was, uh, at that point, I had about 11 years on the job, and um, I uh, uh, was in between my night tours. Back then, we did two 10s, two 10-hour days, two 14-hour night tours. Right. And then we were off for... Uh, and we were off for four days. So we worked the old Philly tour there. And uh, I was in between my night tours that morning, got home from work, had, had run some runs the night before the night of the 10th, uh, came home and literally was sitting on my couch um, watching the news. And, uh, and I think we were watching the Today Show or something, you know, and saw everything start to happen and went, holy, holy crap, man, this is, this is for real. This wasn't an accident. Yeah. And, um, you know, like everybody else stunned when we saw the towers come down, I, I remember being in some, in some, um, groups, you know, back then you didn't have social media. Right. So it was honestly, we communicated a lot on the fools internationals, um, guest book. Oh, and wow. Okay. That, that was how a ton of us from all over the country communicated with one another all the time. Uh, so you'd put a, you'd put a note on the guest book, somebody'd reply, somebody'd reply, and the thread would go on. And I know that actually Mike Gilbert from Fools International, one of the founders, still has all those threads. Is that right? Wow. He did. So, I mean, talk about history. Holy cow. And, I mean, you know, and, and then that's when it starts coming. You know, it's like all our friends that are FDNY guys, holy crap, did, you know, is Champ okay? Is Ray okay? Is Timmy Klett okay? You know, where's Dana? Where's, you know, all these guys that we were friends with and we were all young men at the time. You know, some of us weren't even officers yet. We were firemen, maybe, maybe a couple guys were lieutenants that we were tight with, but we were all young firemen. And um, so that was how we were communicating at the time. Uh, I had to go into work that night for the night tour and it was, it was really rough. You know, we just, everybody huddled around the TVs waiting to see who's going where. A lot of companies were self dispatching. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple from Mercer County that, that I think that happened. Um, we also had one from Hamilton Township, uh, the Kuhos company. They sent their special service unit up there. They were actually requested. 
Uh, and that special service unit to this day is the backup truck right now in Hamilton. Wow. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. They got a little decal on it that it was there, <laughs> but anyway, um, so that being said, um, we, uh, we worked our tour. I know that night we were out on a gasoline tanker that overturned out on, on interstate 295, you know, major hazmat incident. And, uh, you know, same thing you're going to this and it's a hazmat overturn and it's this and it's that you can think about is is this another terrorist incident you know 7500 gallon gasoline tanker flipped over in the middle of the highway in the dead center of the state near the state capitol you know it, it was like no shit what's next well and that was that was it what i what i thought was really interesting though about that time was like it went from sheer innocence to everything was suspicious for a very uh, long time afterwards Absolutely. For months afterwards. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to be quick and tell you no, a couple go ahead. Of things. But, um, so yeah, that was a big deal. And, um, I, I, at the time I was doing research and development and consulting work for champion rescue tools. They were based out of uh, California and we had been working with, with FDNY and with Con Ed gas on some different equipment that they were testing. So I was really in kind of familiar with the guys at R and D. Yeah. Uh, they, they were, they were down in Brooklyn. They were at 55, uh, 59 page Avenue, big old warehouse right down there in Brooklyn. And, uh, Lieutenant Stein was the guy running at Mike Stein. And he knew I had a lot of rescue tools and a lot of specialized equipment, specialized cutting equipment and things like that, that I had basically in my garage. And, uh, he called me out of the blue. I get a phone call, Aaron, can you get here with your equipment? Wow. And, and I was at the firehouse at work. I said, yeah, I'll get out of work and come. He goes, no, don't come tonight. It's too ridiculous. We're not going to get anything accomplished tonight. And, and he says, first thing in the morning, we need you here. I'll fax you. Of course, this is back then, you know, yeah, we were yeah, yeah. I will fax you basically papers of transit that will get you through the checkpoints, get you through the tunnel, uh, you know, go in the Holland tunnel and, and the whole nine yards. And that's what we did. Um, I, I was really tight friends with Billy Hobson from uh, Ocean County Fire Marshal sure. at the time. I, I called Billy. I said, hey, I need help moving all these tools. And uh, he, he met me that morning at my house. We picked up everything. And uh, me, him, and a, uh, another guy who was an Ocean County uh, fireman and, and police officer, we loaded my truck and we went. And uh, that's that was it. That was, you know, we got up there and... I have to think, Aaron, I just want to ask, I mean, to, to just paint a picture, right? Because a lot of people that listen to this don't really know the infrastructure between New York, New Jersey, and how that works. But the Holland Tunnel yeah. comes out of Jersey City, New Jersey, and that's yeah. across from basically lower Manhattan. It and is. it's a it's a two-tube tunnel that goes yep. underneath the Hudson River, and you go from the New Jersey side, you go under, and all of a sudden you pop out, and you are literally like in downtown Manhattan. Absolutely. Yeah. What and, was and, what was that like? Because that had to be from like I was just talking to Rich Thode and he talked about how they walked through basically like the ferry terminal and it went from like normalcy to chaos within a hundred feet. Yep. Yep. It was it was insane because and, and I'll never forget as we're cresting the hill, you know, getting ready to go down into the tunnel. Yeah. And you see the city very clearly there, right? Um and, and it just, it was the weirdest thing in the world to not see the towers. Mm. I mean just we, we grew up with them. We grew up. Those were the twin towers. You know, when we were little kids, 
my, my dad owned property in the city and on, and on East fourth street, lower East side. So we were in that area a lot and it was just this, this stalwart thing always in your life. And it's so weird, you know, it, I'm sure it's, it's like people who, who live in Paris and see the Eiffel tower every day, you know, to, to go by there and not see that and to just see the smoke still coming up and the dust and everything. It was completely surreal. And I'll never forget Hobson said to me, you know, once we go through this tunnel, our lives are never going to be the same. And I said to him, I said, Billy, our lives are never going to be the same anyway. Yeah. You know, it already happened. Now we just got to go with it. And, um, and we did, we got down there. We went, we, you know, going down the West side highway and, and getting into the, into the area where they wanted us was crazy. Mike told me where he wanted me. We went to the command post and, and, um, they said, bring your truck all the way through, you know, they basically cleared a path that you can get to the, uh, basically there's the world financial center there. Yes. And that's where they wanted me to take all those tools, bring them into basically it was like a USAR tool cache that they were creating in the world financial center down there. Yeah. So like, like American express building or whatever it was at the time. Um, and that's what we did. We, we got some, found some hand trucks from some guys. I had brought a couple hand trucks and we just loaded all these tools up and took them in and Stein introduced me, uh, to the guys there. And, um, and, and that was it, you know, that's where I met Nikki Giordano. You know, Nikki's a legend out of, out of rescue three sure. and he was, he was our boss. And Nick said, listen, if you can stay here, stay here with me and help me do all this, get tools out. We're going to get tools to the pile. And back at that point, we were still thinking there were survivors. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and it was the, it was still rescue. It was rescue, rescue, rescue. And, um, we worked with him and, um, there's some of the, you know, we made, made friends with some people, you know, I saw on the pile, you know, you're, you're devastated. Nobody mentally was there. I don't care what anybody says. We were all just doing what you're supposed to do, but mentally you're, you're just in the weirdest position. I think back at it, you know, I saw, I saw Bobby Presley down there and some of the other guys that I had known and, and, um, and then started seeing some of our task force guys that I knew from Jersey and stuff like that. But it was, uh, it was surreal. It really was. What do you know? Well, and to know that Dana was in that pile because, you know, I, I had heard round about that, that, you know, he was, cause he was at that time with 26 engine. Yes. When he had originally been with 34 truck, but he was doing his high rise rotation with 26 engine. So, yeah. I, yeah, I, so much there. Um, it, today, when you think back 22 years later, you know, um, I mean, you were a totally different person then than you are today, obviously, as we mature and, and grow old. And not that you're yeah. old, but uh, older. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, think about it. I mean, you were a, a, a 10, 11 year man, and now you're retired, right? So, you know, you're. Yeah. Your outlook, your points of view, I mean, just all of it changes a little bit. I'm curious, though, how much that impacted you just as a firefighter. Um, the, the, did, it, did it make you think about, you know, just a little bit more putting, putting this job in perspective that, like, because, you know, we went from zero to 1,000 that day in, in miles per hour, meaning that everything was normal up until it wasn't anymore and we lost so many that day. Did that put some things in perspective for you? It did. It did. I mean, I remember my son was, was, uh, 
uh, September. He would have been about two and a half. Yeah. At that point, yeah, right. he was born nine. So yeah, he was two and a half. And I, I'll never forget kneeling down and you know and hugging him before I got in the truck to leave. Yes. We didn't know what we were going to. Yeah. You know? I mean, we knew, but we didn't know. And um, you know, and and it was tough. It was tough. And and then coming home. And then living, you know, going to all the funerals and well, all the memorials. You know, I'll never forget one of the things that we did. We were at Andy Frederick's memorial up in Suffern. And um, they had the regular collation. And then they had kind of an invite collation. Right. At like the American Legion Hall or something like that it was. And here I am out there throwing a football with Andy's kids. And Mike Stallings from Orlando. Mike's a, a Italian chief in Orlando now, but Mike was one of the founding fools. And all those guys had come up for for this, you know, the all the services, and uh, it affected us. It definitely did, and I didn't realize it at the time, man. I really didn't. And honestly, I went through a lot of crap as I ended up going through a divorce and all that. And um, one of the things that my ex-wife said to me was you didn't you didn't care as much after 9-11 you were changed mm. you were you were you know you were not the same and and i didn't want to hear it you know of course you don't want to hear these things yeah you know, of course you know whatever but you know there was a point where you start saying well i could be dead tomorrow you know so it, it's uh, it changed a lot of guys it screwed a lot of people up i'm i'm very fortunate thank god right now i still have all my my health is good um, no lung problems, you know, because they were driving around in, in these trucks. I remember the union, like the iron workers or somebody, they were handing out masks and they were throwing us dry socks and stuff while we were there. Right. And you couldn't breathe in those masks because they kept clogging up because of all the concrete dust. Right. So what'd you do? Took it off. You, just, you took it off. And, and, you know, they were N95s or whatever they were back then. Yeah. Dumbass us. Right. Now you're breathing that shit. And now all these guys are dying of cancer, you know? So it's scary. Know. I mean, you know, you, you look at the, the horrific tragedy of that day 22 years ago, and then you look at uh, what's happening today. It's now 22 years later and the amount of people that have been consumed by cancer and other ailments due to September 11th, 22 years ago, um, the number exceeds those that were lost that day. And um, yeah. and the tragedy continues day in and day out. New funerals, new wakes, new new. Uh, yeah ceremonies for people and and it's just it's reliving it over and over um it has certainly plagued us here in the northeast especially new york and new jersey area for sure um and so on i i really appreciate you sharing some of your story today aaron i want to ask you one last question when september 11th comes around every year this year this it's going to be a monday um something you do just a, a moment of remembrance or do you go to a ceremony every year or do you just hug your kids a little bit tighter something you do on the 11th every year yeah, I'd probably get grouchier. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, I hate the week. I just do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get a little grouchier. I know that. I, I pull back a little bit. I know that. Uh, I'll put my uniform on for sure, and I'll go to the Hamilton Memorial. They've got a really very, very, very nice 9-11 oh, guard nice. memorial with a big chunk of steel. Um, I, I try to go to that every year, so I will be there for that. And, um, and honestly, probably tomorrow looks like the day that I can get away. 
I'm going to try to drive up and, and sit on a bench in Wyckoff at uh, Dana's at Dana's Memorial. Well, if you want to share a cup of coffee or something, you call me because uh, I will. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there Monday night. I go there every year on Monday. Uh, yeah. They do a potluck dinner because they did that on September 11th of 01 when they knew Dana was missing. And yeah. they, they brought all their members together. Um, and ever since that day, they do that. Um, and it's just something that I, and it's important to me. It's important to yeah. my family, my children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I make a point of that every year. But if you're going to be, if you're going to, if you're coming up this way, don't, don't hesitate to give me a call, please. I, I'll let you know. Yeah. Good chief. Yeah. Well, I, that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about right now. But other than that, you know, it's, it's a day of reflection. I've got a pile of, of, printed pictures you know because back then we didn't have digital photos right in the top drawer of my desk yeah and we look at them once a year yeah uh, i cleaned out that drawer actually yesterday and and there they all were and i'll look through i didn't look through them yesterday i said "Ah, that'll wait till monday gotcha and i'll look through them and and that's you know you pray you were gonna gonna pray and um and then just be thankful for what we have and, and pray that it doesn't happen again. That's it, brother. Chief, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate you and I appreciate our friendship. Same, brother. Same. Thanks, Aaron. Take care, pal. See ya. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this episode on the National Fire Radio podcast platform. September 11th, 2001 was not an easy day for anyone. And um, this episode is just a small tribute to those that had fallen and those that deal with the tragedies that occurred that day and are still dealing with. Um, For my friends to share some of their stories, I'm sure it wasn't easy for them to do. Um, I put them on the spot and asked them if they would, and and I didn't have anyone say no. Um, But I'm sure it's not easy, and I know it was emotional for some of them, and I've gotten messages since we've recorded them. And a lot of people said that it made them really refocus on that day and, and never really put much thought to how they felt or where they were until now. And so for that, I apologize to them for putting them on the spot, but I believe that each story told today on this podcast is important in so many different ways. And if you stayed on and listened through, thank you. Um, It was a memorable day that all of us can remember that time and place that we were at, where we were, how we felt, uh, and certainly uh, the time after September 11th of how we bonded together, can't through this together. I will say this. There's a couple things that stood out to me throughout these segments with the different guests. A couple things that came together for me that I didn't really think about until after talking with, you know, a lot of my friends here. A few of the things that I just wanted to point out is the common theme for many was that when they got the news, regardless of if they saw it on a pager, a phone, a text message, a, uh, uh, the TV, right. And so on, they felt that they needed to be in a place where they were comfortable and they needed to be at the firehouse or in the presence of those that we work or volunteer with every single day. And I think that that's really important. It speaks volumes to how important the firehouse is to us, how important the people are in that firehouse to us. Um, I think we take for granted sometimes the relationships that we have. Um, When tragedy strikes like this and your first connotation is to maybe check on your family and make sure your family's okay, but then the very next 
the very next thought that you have is I need to get to the firehouse. And I know for me on September 11th, that was my thought. I watched the second plane hit the tower live. I was standing on a hill in Patterson, New Jersey, on the border of Clifton, New Jersey, with the skyline in plain view, smoke billowing off of the first tower, and I watched the second plane hit live in front of my eyes, not on television, but in front of my eyes from a distance of just maybe 10 miles, not even five miles, straight across. And um, I remember I was in a schoolyard, and traffic stopped. And uh, people, I had gotten out of my car, and I was watching it unfold. I remember there was a city bus that stopped right in the middle of the street, and everybody got off the city bus. And I remember there were other cars that just stopped. Traffic stopped on a very busy road. And we all stood there in a asphalt schoolyard, basketball court, chain-link fence. I remember it. And we were watching this happen. And the humanity that day of all of us looking at each other as human beings and as Americans and nothing more than that um, was powerful. And as I think about this and I, I peel back the layers on all of this, even 22 years later from there, I know that the only thought I had was I called my uh, girlfriend at the time and uh, we had just started dating. Who's now my wife, Terry. Um, we had just started dating and um, remember calling her and I said, hey, I'm going to the firehouse. And that was my immediate thought was I'm headed back to the firehouse. There was nothing more in my mind. It was that's where I needed to be. And I remember getting to the firehouse about 15 minutes later, 15, 20 minutes later from where I was. Um, I remember pulling in. There were already all the doors were up. There were already guys there. Um, they were watching it. The interesting thing about my municipality where I volunteer as a firefighter is that our frequency is the same as a FDNY frequency, but we have a PL on a private line. We have a PL code on that frequency. And, and I had a mobile radio in my car at the time and I took the PL off and I could listen to all the radio transmissions. Um, and I remember just hearing just God awful commands in, and things going things going on that just you've never heard before. But the one thing that stood out to me most about that day on the radio transmissions was the tone and the voice of each person that was keying up that mic. The sense of urgency, the sense of doom, I don't know. But there was this different sound to the way the radio transmissions were broadcasted that day from each and every person. It was just chilling. And I remember getting to the firehouse and they had the, we had the FDNY frequencies on and we're listening to the mobilization of resources, the alarms getting banged up, just getting rung up, rung up. And then, um, and we had the TVs on and then the collapses, the collapse, another collapse. So when we're watching this all in real time um, and listening to the FDNY channels, it's chilling. It's still chilling to this day. I'll never forget it. Um, I remember hearing a firefighter transmit on his radio that he was underneath an engine and he wasn't, un he wasn't sure where he was. I think he said West Street. Um, I don't know what rig it was. He said his name over the radio. That, that was powerful. And I'm 10, 15 miles away. And that just chilled all of us. The, 
the brevity of this, the, 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 the size and scope, it's so hard to understand when you're not there in the first person. It just, you, you're, you're removed by one step and it, it doesn't, it makes some of it not real uh, unless you were standing there. Um, we eventually got called. We eventually got called to respond with our rescue truck. At the time, our rescue truck had a cascade system on it for breathing air. And they thought they were going to need air trucks in the city. Uh, so we got bumped up the line to respond rather quickly in the pecking order of um, equipment being mobilized. Um, and we went. And I remember on the way down, as like I said, we could see the skyline. And I remember watching um, that column of smoke in the blue sky. And we're watching it out the side windows. We had a rear walk-in rescue truck. And I remember myself and a bunch of guys in the back. And we're watching out the side slide windows, just that column as we go. Um, responding, getting stopped, not being able to get across the George Washington Bridge because the Port Authority police had shut down all the crossings due to threats and, and all sorts of other issues. Um, we staged for a while, feeling helpless, watching the fighter jets circle New York City. Um, incredible. Just incredible. And, and again, I was removed from it. I wasn't there. I wasn't across that river. I was not at, the, at ground zero at the time. And it's still an overwhelming feeling. Um, the worst part for me was as time ticked on, New Jersey... Uh, started putting together their task force and response groups and they did a better job at staging equipment very early on. It was literally, if you wanted to go, people just went and departments were sending equipment and people and, and there was no official ask or need and all of that. And so New Jersey finally got it together, their mobilization together. And remember, I mean, other than maybe a couple of hurricanes or something, there's never been a mobilization, any, anything like this in our area. And so the coordination just, it just wasn't, where it is today if something were to happen on such a large scale. So understandably, but there was a lot of miscommunication, um, a lot of back and forth, and eventually we were sent home. And, man, you want to talk about the feeling of defeat. Um, we want to help. We want to go. We want to do. We want to make our impact. We want to be a part of it because we feel that we have something to add. That's who we are. That's who we are as people. We run towards it. Whether it's on the fire ground or in your personal life, tragedy strikes, firefighters are typically the first ones to step up and go. And um, it was hard because I felt very defeated that day that we didn't get there. And I didn't understand the whole, I don't know, the, the magnitude of that day. I didn't understand that I was, I think I was 25, 26 years old. Um, I was still a kid, you know, and... Um, it's hard just to think back about it now and, you know, who I am today and, and my understanding of life and so on. I have a much better idea today than I did back then. And, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it was a different time. But I, I remember that, that sense of feeling defeated. I remember driving back up the highway and we climb elevation as you come across and outside of New York City, you come across the George Washington Bridge. You travel on Route 4, Route 4 west to 208. Uh, north, and it brings you back to our municipality. And um, as you're on these highways, it climbs in elevation several times, and you go up these hills. And I remember 
riding the back step of the rescue truck, looking out the back door, and all you see is that smoke column and dust cloud now of the collapsed towers, uh, and it is, um, it's just a, a, like a, a large fog had just settled across New York, New Jersey, uh, Hudson River. It just, it was, it was something that you just never thought you would ever see or, or uh, see or even try to comprehend or understand. It was hard. Um, but that sense of being defeated, not being there, not being able to help, being held back, and then traveling back home and watching watching it still unfold out the back doors of a rescue truck, out of a walk-in rescue truck, watching it unfold as we're being sent home because they started to organize better and they were going to call through official channels when we were to mobilize. We got back, and I'll be honest with you, from there I don't, I don't remember the rest of that day for the most part. I remember coming back and, and seeing Terry um, and my stepkids my stepkids now at the time, they were, you know, her, they were my girlfriend's kids and they were young. They were five and six, somewhere around there, six and seven. Um, and, uh, they were young and they didn't understand it. Terry picked them up early from school. Terry was upset. I remember her telling me how the fighter jets in the sky were just terrifying. Um, and that it was frightening to hear them circle above. Uh, and the, the days and weeks and months that followed, um, learning about our friend Dana Hannon, who um, was lost and he was working that day. There were so many people that I know that uh, are New York City firefighters. Where, where we are, we're so close that we are, we, we have the, um, our area is, is known for getting guys on the job there. Uh, a lot of guys want to be New York City firemen that grow up in New Jersey in the shadows of New York City. And so, we knew a lot of people that work in the city and there was a lot of uncertainty in those early hours and, and days leading up, you know, afterwards about who was working, who's accounted for, who's not. And we kept that, that line of communication open. And, um, and that was important. Um, but we knew Dana was missing. We knew Dana was lost. Dana was a volunteer member of the Wyckoff, New Jersey Fire Department, um, a very proactive and good, aggressive volunteer fire company here in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, they've put out some incredible firefighters into the world um, out of that firehouse, and Dana was one of them. And Dana had gone to um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, where he was a awarded uh, medals for his valor, um, but he always wanted to be a New York City firefighter. And followed his dream from Bridgeport back to the FDNY. And uh, he was doing his probationary year rotation. Assigned Engine 26 that day, the Batcave. And um, and they responded down. And uh, from there, <clears throat> that, was his, that was his last day. And um, he's forever riding. He's still in very much in all of our memories. Um, he's missed every single day. Um, I had a couple people on this episode that you heard that were friends with him, that were mentors of his, that were, um, Dana was one of those guys that was just one of those up and coming, young, excitable, loved, loved, loved the job. And he's missed, he's missed every single day. He's missed in Wyckoff, he's missed in Bridgeport, and he's certainly missed in the FDNY and all of his friends that he taught with at FDIC and different conferences and so on, he's missed every single day. People were taken from us that day, and, um, and we all had to deal with that. And not everybody had somebody to bring home. 
and um, the funerals that were after the the memorial services and funerals were um, plentiful. I mean, they were every day um, trying to mobilize people to go to them, trying to get people to represent. The FDNY was spread so thin on so many funeral details. It was hard to get the masses to these ceremonies, to these funerals. And I remember that. And the call went out. We need people to be at these services. It was hard. It was a very, very hard time that took its toll on this area and on the firefighters that were there and the firefighters that are there today. I will say this. The FDNY does an unbelievable job and remembering their own. That is a prideful job. A fire department that typically sees the very worst in humanity and the very best in its people. Everything happens in New York City, and their fire department is aces, and their people never forget their people. Every firehouse has a memorial or shrine to those that have fallen, whether it was September 11th, or the days prior, or the days after. They remember their own as if they still ride with them every single day. I challenge all of you, when we lose people like that, we need to do the same. We need to remember who they are, remember what they stood for, and create a legacy for them so that their name lives on and we just don't forget them by putting a plaque on the wall and moving on. I talk about it throughout this episode about talking about the job and how important that is. And when we talk and have conversation, we're keeping it alive. And for younger guys and girls that are listening to this, if you don't have really a personal story, go learn somebody else's. Thank you for listening today to my friend's stories and a little bit of my story. Um, It matters. It matters. And if you don't have your own story because you were too young to really have one or, or or remember that day, then go learn somebody else's story. Just Google it. Get online. Go online and and read about a few or all that fell that day. The contributions that so many made to the American Fire Service, the talent, the incredible people, the brothers and sisters lost that day. A massive void was created in the FDNY as well as the American Fire Service. We've probably taken a few steps back because of that day on the, the amount of growth and learning we could have learned from some of those incredible leaders that fell that day. So be like the FDNY. Memorialize your people and keep their, keep their stories alive. And go out and talk about it. Talk about the day. Talk about September 11, 2001, like it was yesterday. And keep that conversation going so that we can keep people alert so that they understand and they keep and continue to understand. It's important. A few things I want to mention. I mentioned about the importance of all of us coming together, finding commonality in the firehouse and within one another's company. That day, some other themes. Time stood still. It was a moment in time that none of us will ever forget. Time literally stood still that day. I mentioned parking in a school parking lot, asphalt, you know, basketball court in an elementary school, I think it was. And everything stopped around me. City buses, other cars. People stopped what they needed to do to witness history. It's important. 
I think that message really resonates with me that sometimes we need to stop and look around. Walk with your head up, not with your head down. Look around, look at the people around you, and lend a hand when a hand is needed. I think that's what resonates with me when I think about where I was that day when I saw that second plane hit. People stopped giving a shit about themselves, and they cared more about what was occurring. We need to do that. Put that phone lens down, keep your head up, and look around and become involved. I think that's important. Lastly, thank you. Thank you to all of you that spent some time listening to this episode. Um, I know it ran longer than our typical episodes. The podcast is super important to me, finding a voice, finding a place where I can share my ideas, thoughts, and opinions, and then share with you people that I find tremendous value in, people that make me better. That's what this podcast is all about. Thank you for being a part of that. And um, I couldn't do it if you guys weren't here to listen. And so that means everything to me. I talk about that selfish endeavor that I need to do this. I need to put my thoughts out there. Um, and if it affects anyone in a, in a good way or a bad way, well, you know, people are listening and I thank you for that because it means the world to me because I feel that, like I've always said, let's just talk about this job. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. It's reality. And um, when we talk in real time and we can have conversations, whether they hurt or whether they make you feel good, it's reality. And I think we need more of that. So thank you all for tuning in to this September 11th, 2001 episode with me and a bunch of my friends. I appreciate your time and, uh, and care. And uh, go out and talk about the job because when we talk about the job, we make the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.